You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. <laughs> we are on the air. <laughs> oh, I want to thank Jason for the uh, hookup from Mr. Red Brown. So. <laughs> Yeah, I thought, time. what better way to thank him than to put it right at the beginning of the show? But you'll be hearing more of that drop throughout the history of the show, trust me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Red Brown. <laughs> 287 episodes or whatever, and we finally get a, <laughs> we finally do a drop from a, a star or a celebrity of some sort. We're so, we're so modest. We're so humble. That's right. But it was great for uh, Jason to do that. Yes. All right. So, welcome to the GGTMC. Uh, we are back. I think I said episode two eighty seven. I think it's what episode it is. It is. Yeah. Hope you guys have been enjoying the show. A couple of midnight rides came out this week. Uh, lots of good stuff coming for uh, coming from this day forward. I want to say, and I know Will feels the same way. Let's go ahead and say what we we always intend to say around this time of year. We'll say Happy Mother's Day to everybody's mom, our moms. Uh, everybody celebrate. Give your mom a hug the good mothers out there yeah 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 absolutely if you're like zom just watch your milf porn do whatever you got to do <laughs> on mommy mommy's day <laughs> just don't google search that <laughs> speaking of which i saw a great picture of seika yesterday i was going to send to zom i forgot to oh nice nice yeah he's a big seika fan all right so uh oh the other one other thing i want to mention uh, this is a little behind the scenes fun for you guys i don't think michael mind that i mentioned this do you think you will no. Uh, he uh, he directed Mr. Dale Dye, uh, who was in uh, Kid, that we reviewed last week, to uh, our review of Kid. And uh, Mr. Dye had a lot of nice things to say about the show, and and uh, he listened to the review and stuff. So if you'd have told 20-something-year-old me that the guy that that trained the, the platoon in, in platoon 
would be listening to me do a review and that Brian Trenchard Smith would be listening to us do reviews and, and all these things. I would have told you. The Aussie director of uh, oh, that one that Lightning Bug did with us. So. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot his name off the top of my head. But if you'd have told me this, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I'd have told you you're crazy, you know. But uh, it's amazing some of the stuff we've uh, we've had happen. But now I can say, you know, I can take to my grave one day that uh, Dale Dye listened to the GGTMC. That's right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could take that to my grave. <laughs> Easy. Wait, watch watch the tickling over there, Will. It's not even Mother's Day yet, there, boy. It's a tickle fight there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week we are reviewing. We went back. We've actually programmed a show. We've done this maybe once or twice in the last year outside of the Diabolic shows, but this is actually the old school way we used to do it. I pick a film, Will picks a film, we talk movies. And, uh, Imagine I, that. <laughs> I chose Slapshot from 1977, directed by George Roy Hill. And uh, we'll say, well, I have plenty to say about that, I'm sure. And uh, Will chose City of Pirates, uh, Le Ville des Day. What is it? La Vie de, La Vie de Pirate. <laughs> pirate? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming Pirate is the French way to say pirate. I've never even pondered how to say no. pirate. <laughs> French. Pirate? Yeah, Pirate. 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 I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that's from 83, and that's directed by one Raoul Ruiz. 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 Chilean surrealist filmmaker. Yeah, when we started, well, I'll talk more about it in a little bit. Yeah, I found out a lot of stuff. <laughs> and we'll talk some money. <laughs> yeah. So that is the intro. Let's get into what we've been watching. I we have to call this episode the City of Lost Slapshots. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fine with me. What was the, the other? The only other thing I have was Slap Pirates, which, <laughs> which is, but I'll, I'll call it the City of Lost Slapshots or City of Slapshots. <laughs> city of Lost Slapshots. Yeah, City of Lost Slapshots. <laughs> sure, why not? What have I been watching? I've been. Wa- I gotta say. Um, as it said to you on the air, or off, on the air, off the air, it's a night recording. We're going to get wild and woolly. <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. wearing any pants. Wait a minute. Yeah. This, that, could be a, that could be a day yeah. recording. That's right. <laughs> I am wearing Zubaz. It's uh, a true story. Oh, I am wearing basketball shorts, and I am going commando with those basketball shorts. True story. I just got out of the shower like uh, 20 minutes ago. I have this awesome shirt. It's University of Nebraska at Miami. It's got some farmer cornhusker in Hawaiian shorts with an orange in his hand. A big cowboy hat. Looks like Charles Napier with a tan. Nice. Hashtag. So, so, so GTMC. I got, I, dude, I'll take a picture. It is amazing. It's like my favorite t shirt. My wife hates it. Um, but, uh, well, if, your wife, watching... if your wife hates it, it's a good t shirt. <laughs> exactly. I've come to that conclusion. Every t shirt I own, my wife hates. Yeah, and that true, every man. one that she hates is the most comfortable T-shirt it's I own. Amazing, yep, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I've been watching a lot of sports. It, I watched the uh, OKC LA Clippers series, which uh, has been really good basketball. Yeah, uh, the NFL draft. So it's been good. Uh, it was a little bit of playoffs, a little bit of the NHL playoffs as well. Minnesota's giving Coops Blackhawks a run for their money, and I'm sure you're stunned that uh, my Steelers drafted an outside linebacker. <laughs> I'm I am absolutely stunned. <laughs> they absolutely never stunned. draft linebackers. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, man. No kidding. I'm thrilled we got our man, Haha Clinton Dix. We yes. needed a free safety. He looked he looked amazing in that like uh, smoking jacket, man. Oh yeah, he's got a great name. Yeah, yeah. I saw Haha play a lot this year. Year because uh, SEC. Yeah, you would have. Yeah. That's right, man. Yep. That's right. So yeah, it's uh, it's been nice. I have to say to have a bit more of a balance um, in some ways, you know. But uh, in terms of film, I saw a good week. Six films. Um, first one I watched was one that I had seen, but I'd seen it back to back late night with 
a similarly titled titled Giallo, uh, the killer reserved nine seats, and the one I watched this week was the Red Queen kills seven times. Yeah, great title. Great title, great Giallo. I because you know I'd seen the two back to back and I was in and out of sleep a little bit. I didn't really rate this one. Like I thought it was okay, but. This is a fantastic giallo because it introduces kind of a, a supernatural kind of myth. Um, there's some sleaze. It's really stylishly shot. Barbara Boucher's uh, great knit. <laughs> in uh, danger. As you <laughs> in danger. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a really fun one. And it's got, oh, it's got um, Sybil Danning getting naked in it too in a giallo. I forgot all about that. Nice, nice. Yeah, so it's a good one. Um, then I watched maybe, well, I would have said but it's not. Uh, I watched what I thought would have been the most boring film I'd watch all week. Mm. Uh, it was Antonio Margheriti's The Un... or no, The Innaturals. <laughs> that, uh, In- that is a not a good title. <laughs> no. This feels... It's a bit of a chamber piece. Uh, some people said it was his best film. Um, it's kind of a... I thought it was a creamy because it was a West Germany... West German co-production. Uh, it's got like... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Fuchsberger... Uh, Who are these people that would say that's his best film? I don't know, man. R- real critics, <laughs> Melba Toast motherfuckers. That's who. It's uh, it's not very good at all. It's so boring. It's so boring. It's just kind of a, a little bit of a period PC horse and carriage, eight people in a castle, some things are going down. It's just very dry. It wasn't very good at all. I mean, it, it's it's got some. I don't know. I mean, when you when the man directed your yeah, you know, come on, yeah, come on. I mean, yeah, I know. <laughs> Among many other films, we could mention. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, then I decided to do one that Kelly and Tyler, fellow Cheesehead, repped for. Uh, that was on Instant, and it was Square Grouper, which is the sequel to Cocaine Cowboys, which is a really fun documentary. Oh, yeah. Cocaine Cowboys, that is. Cocaine Cowboys, to me, is the kind of documentary that if I wanted to get a guy to watch a documentary that wasn't really a film guy, I'd put that one on. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Very entertaining. A lot of colorful characters. This one I felt like, it, it looks at three different uh, stories. These bunch of white boys that converted to uh, to Rastafari, uh, where they became Rastafarian, and they had this, uh, just, you know, weed. and uh, You know, three different stories. It was okay, man. It was like a six and a half for me. Mm. You know, decent, but uh, I, I appreciate they were trying to show sort of the diverse spectrum of people that got caught up in the weed trade in the the eighties in Miami. But yeah, it was okay. Didn't have the same electricity. You know, that, uh, yeah, you know. For I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. Uh, uh, just for uh, fun and interesting tidbit, I just looked into this. Uh, Antonio Margheriti died in 2002. We we know he passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow he had a film come out in 2010 called Genghis Khan: The Story of a Lifetime. <laughs> Oh my god! So I don't know how that happened, but it looks like Ken Anakin was involved in helping get helping getting that finished. But this film has it. It says Daniel Green, and I think yeah, it's that Daniel Green. Is he playing Genghis Khan? No, he plays a character named McCooley. How McCooley? It's got Charl- sure. It's got Charlton Heston in it. In 2010, and James Hong. It's got James Mitchell in it. It's got Pat Morita, John Saxon. Richard you Tyson. 
That has a lot of bulletproof check cashers. <laughs> a lot. Oh, my. James my. Hong cashed a lot of checks. <laughs> Heston cashed a lot of checks. Pat Morita cashed a lot of checks. I wonder if this is like a film that, I mean, I, I'd imagine this is something Margaretti was probably working on when he passed away. And because, uh, I mean, Charlton Heston was, he's been dead for a while now, right? He died, in, yeah, he died in 2008, so he died two years before this came out. Uh, man, I don't know. You, you might have to look into that for me. Ooh, that might be a... I am morbidly uh, curious about that. Oh, man. Well, Daniel Green would, would be the one for me that would put me over the top. To well, see anything it. with Daniel Green and Richard Tyson in it together? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They could be brothers, man. Why, they'd see, Italy missed the boat by not making like a, like a Paul Brothers twin private eye film with Richard Tyson and, uh, and oh, Daniel Green. Oh, man. that would have been amazing, yeah. would have been amazing. Oh, man. Oh man, for sure. But I mean, it's got James Mitchell and John Saxon too. I mean, it's it's got a hell of a cat. I, I got to see this thing. I don't know. Yeah. Richard that's... Tyson, by the way, plays Genghis Khan. Just so you know. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> so that's what kind of movie this is. That's going to be incredible. <laughs> uh, you need to look at the special secret place and let me know if this actually exists or if this is just an IMDb um, thing. Just let me know. I'm going to look right now. It's actually. Do you see? It's called Genghis Khan. The story of a lifetime. Yes. Genghis Khan colon yeah. story of a lifetime. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, I'm gonna do that now. There's probably a, probably a lot of colon in that film. Oh yeah! <laughs> wow, that's outstanding. And amazing. Let's just take a quick. Uh, <laughs> quick uh, wow, I love when we talk about stuff like this because I know everybody wants to see it now. <laughs> Surely that's nobody has seen it. Fuck! It's not here. Yeah. Oh. The Will of Chinggis Khan? It's a Russian film. <laughs> no. Tanya Chinggis Khan. No, that's not it. I wonder if this film, like like I said, I wonder if it... I don't know. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some research. I'm going to look around for this thing. Madison Motion Pictures. What the Ooh, fuck? No, that's not it. That's the, uh, One of the IMDb posts says, is this movie real? So I don't know. <laughs> Supposedly, it was made for $55 million. You got to be fucking kidding oh me. There's no gosh. way... Margaretti ever had anything to do with $55 million. <laughs> he would have took that money and ran. <laughs> wow. All right, I'm sorry. We're sorry to derail you. Oh, that's, that's, that's a good derailment. That's a, well, i got to look this film up now. Um, wow. But I went back to Netflix Instant because I feel like I neglect it sometimes. Um, and I decided to watch it. I, I was going to try to um, cram before we did our year-end show, and I just didn't quite get around to it. And... Uh, you know, it is what it is, but it's uh, an Italian film called Terra Firma. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I saw that post. I was, I looked into that. I was curious. It's a very good film. Is it? Uh, it yeah, it's quite good. It, my wife and I watched it. It, um, it deals with a pretty significant problem in Italy right now because of their proximity to northern Africa. They get a lot of um, African immigrants, uh, Africans, you know, coming up in boats, basically, and... You know, it um, it looks at a small coastal. I want to say they're south of Sicily, even a small coastal island, like an island, I should say, um, that gets a lot of tourism, and a how fa one family is kind of impacted by um, uh, this this uh, raft of Africans showing up on the shore. Um, it's quite good. It's beautifully shot. They really take advantage of the locale um i think i want to say the director is roman but he's shot a few films in this neck of the woods he's the same guy that did that film respiro 
from a few years ago with uh, Valeria Galino. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good film. I quite liked it. It's uh, it's got some really tense scenes. Pretty uniformly well acted. Um, yeah, I I quite liked it. You know, it was it was it would have made probably the back end of my top thirty if I had to squeeze it in. Uh, man, that Genghis Khan trailer is up on YouTube right now. <clears throat> a three minute trailer. I almost spit my coffee out <laughs> when you said that. Oh man! Uh, then I stumbled onto something while I was uh, on Tumblr. Um, I was looking for a picture of uh, <laughs> of Haha in his smoking jacket at the draft, and I stumbled onto this documentary that was up on Vimeo. I was going to say Mevio on Vimeo called "Last Day at Lambeau." Pretty sure that's what it's called. Last day at Lambeau. Last day. Last days at Lambeau. Uh, stays in limbo yeah. and this is again it's a very specific topic it's um it it speaks to a lot of the beat reporters between minnesota and wisconsin uh, in the last days that Favre was a packer um it's made by an amateur filmmaker um it is good it's of certainly of interest to packer fans and football fans and even sports fans i don't think it would necessarily hold much uh, interest for people that aren't at least sports fans. It was a poignant watch for me because, um, you know, as you know, I'm a big Packer fan and, and Brett Favre was my guy. And mm-hmm. it, I have to say, and this is going to sound silly to people that don't like sports, but you and I have often talked about um, almost having a naive uh, reverence at times for the the purity of sport and the goodness of sport and what's not being aware of the, the the dark underbelly certainly but being aware of certainly the good things that sport can bring about and for a long time I, I you know I worshipped five and I thought this guy got up every day and went to work and all the consecutive games and you know he had guts and he was a leader and all this stuff you know as I was a young man and uh, then to see it, it was it was very peculiar and ironic that his departure from Green Bay coincided with me becoming a husband and a father and having my own house because at that point, because sort of my idol had let me down with the way he acted and I kind of realized that there's more to, there's more to life than this sort of idol worship of athletes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not sitting as eloquently as I like. I'm a little bit tired, but it I, was... I think all grown men can relate to this. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was, and I got chills at a few moments. And I even got, I have to say, it's going to sound silly to non sportsmen, but I even got a little bit misty eyed at a few parts because he meant, I mean, that team and, and specifically him meant so much to me that I, I drove there four times to watch them play. And I cried during his first uh, retirement uh, press conference. Right, right. You know, because my whole, my whole 1992, I became a Packer fan. So all I knew was, was him. And right. um, when you latch on to someone like that and you feel like you can identify with them and, and how accountable they are and what they represent as far as being a man or what you perceive them to represent. It's, it has a powerful sway. But like you said, I think anyone who's a sports fan could relate to that. And uh, it was ironic. I didn't realize at the time, but when the Packers finally beat the Vikings in his last game at Lambeau, it was on William's second birthday, yeah, October yeah. 24th. So I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Man, I'll tell you, that was I wanted that so bad. It had to be. They had to beat him, man. But uh, yeah, so anyway, it's it's a decent. It's on Vimeo. If you Google "Last Day at Lambeau," mm-hmm. you'll see about the fourth or fifth one down. Hit uh, uh, down is the other screener on Vimeo. It's eighty minutes long. So yeah, there you go. Um, 
Then I finished my week with one that I've been meaning to see for years and years and years. I'm kind of embarrassed to say I haven't seen it. And it kind of worked out well considering that we covered Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I don't know what that was. <laughs> How, that was a strange noise, man. <laughs> oh, um, I'm, I'm, man, I know what it is. Uh, I left Facebook I, up. <clears throat> oh, it's okay, okay. Kelly uh, Kelly just commented on the uh, post. <laughs> and I just watched that whole trailer while you were talking. And uh, I was still with you the whole time, but that trailer is insane. I posted it on the Facebook group as well. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, Richard Tyson uh, Ian uh, goes, Richard Tyson, this gang is con. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. you, wait, you, what, when, while I'm talking, watch that trailer and wait till you see what uh, Charlton Heston looks like. And I can't wait to. He plays but, a Mongolian. Jeez, <laughs> they should have. They should have had uh, Ethan Wayne or one of John Wayne's sons to play a Mongolian while they were at it. <laughs> well, they got James Mitchum, so maybe he plays one. Yeah, no kidding, ridiculous. Um, I finished the week with one that I'd meant to see, and it kind of ties in with with uh, Slapshot this week, and it was The Hustler. Ah, yes, you watched The Hustler. Yeah. Hey, really, did, you, really... did you mention last week the Thirty for Thirty you watched, or did you mention that this week? I don't think Which you one? mentioned it. The 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 Detroit Pistons one, yeah. I wanted to say I did. I don't recall um, you mentioned that. I, last I week, did but... because then I, I mentioned Execution in Autumn. Oh, yes, you did, you, did, you did. But yeah, the Bad Boys ESPN 30 for 30 was fantastic. Yeah, I got that on the DVR. I'm going to watch that soon. Yeah, it's a good one, man. It's I watched a, a couple one. this week. Nice. I can't wait to hear. I saw you actually watched a couple. <laughs> so I'm curious to see how those paid off for you. But The Hustler was fantastic. Um, nice. As much as everyone, man, Paul Newman's so good. And it's funny because. The film is very, I think, very daring for its time because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it, I almost feel like now, as obvious as this may sound, like I feel like George Clooney really channels Paul Newman a lot um, in yeah, that yeah. he's a good-looking guy. Um, he takes on some roles that are a little bit thankless, but his charisma kind of pulls him through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even his Leatherheads film, I feel like, was kind of a t- uh, almost like a, like a PG shot. Yeah, like a PG-rated slap shot. Yeah. Like a slap shot in some ways. and um, But this film... Is excellent. I mean, uh, I was going to say Tippy Hedren. Piper Laurie's really, really good in it. Uh, I, you know, Gleason deserves all the pub he gets. But I got to say, in my conversation with other cinephiles, I don't feel like people talk enough about George C. Scott in the film. And he's outstanding in the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's really good in the film. Um, yeah, uniformly, right across the board, it's a great film. It's beautifully shot. Beautifully shot. Um, yeah, I mean, just fantastic it'll make my year-end first-time watch list it's uh nice it's a, it's a it's a damn good film yes it is yes it is i told you at some point maybe we'll uh revisit that and maybe double deuce it with the color of money it could be a fun yeah, show absolutely because uh newman's really great in that too i know that's uh that was when tom cruise was up and coming and he, and he was still kind of uh yeah he was interesting yeah and uh but he's uh uh newman is i mean that character of uh fast eddie felson is such a great character Oh yeah, so yeah, I really, I really, I'm a big fan of the Hustler as well. So I'm Good glad you film. got. To, I'm glad you uh, watched it. Yeah, yeah, it was one. Like I said, it just I'm kind of embarrassed. It's such an important American film, and I like that it's a bit minimal in some ways. Like it doesn't, even though it's two hours and fifty minutes, it's not flabby. Yeah, it's very noirish too in a lot of ways. It is. No, they could have used man Richard Tyson in that fur hat. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> What were they thinking? <laughs> Casting him as... Uh, are we making a Mongolian movie or are we shoveling a driveway? Which fucking thing are we doing? <laughs> yeah, in New Jersey. <laughs> oh, my God. They got braids on the side of his head. I'm just waiting. Wait until you, wait until you get to the Charlton Heston. Wait this way. Uh, yeah. All right. I anyway. Mean, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. I'll let you. I'd like to hear what you've been getting into. All right. I got into a few things this week. I watched... Uh, 
Well, I'll go ahead and say I finally watched Gravity. Uh, I'm probably in the same boat with you on Gravity. I really, I, 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 <laughs> I'm guessing you just got to the Charlton Heston one. You want me to get a screenshot oh, up on the ponytail? That is, Jeez. I don't know if I can get a screenshot of that or not up on the oh, Facebook group, God. but it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Talk about the Grecian formula there, brah. It's so bad, it makes John Wayne's The Conqueror look bad. I mean, and John Wayne looks awful in The Conqueror, so... So I didn't mean to derail that, but that ponytail is insane, man. It's bad. Uh, what kind of movie? What kind of movie are you trying to sell when you got Richard Tyson, Charlton Heston, and Pat Morita as the big names you sell? And there's a female they sell too. But I'm like, what are you trying to sell there? Man, <laughs> evidently, just I was reading into it while you were talking. You know, they had they made that for TV, and they had 55 million dollars, and they ran out of money. And then somebody just cut together what was left, and I guess that movie must have done Margaretti in health wise. Yeah, man. There's one part where uh, Tyson delivers a baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! Oh, man. <laughs> oh, Kelly saying that cast. Man. Oh wow! There's a great close-up of Heston near the end. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, wow! I know. It's it. Rodney Grant. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. Anyway, I watched uh, Gravity. I'm with you on that one. Uh, I like the film. It's a good film. Um, and I like Alfonso Cuarón. I mean, this is really, uh, really an achievement what he accomplished yeah. and how he made the film. But I just didn't really find the story super interesting. Uh, I kind of got uh, waylaid a few times, and I'll be honest with you, a little bored sometimes. So it just was too much um, formula of uh, frying pan to fire, frying pan to fire. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't really like the ending. I mean, I no, didn't. neither did I. I. I really didn't like the um, the image or the uh apparition or the the vision and oh the i thought you know what i thought was really on that was like I, I i actually like the thing with the, vo- the thing with the vodka you mean the thing with the radio too oh yeah the radio yeah, yeah. really come on but yeah i know anyway. yeah. yeah that stuff i didn't really care for either but i really didn't like and i'm not i'm not saying that as a film snob who needed like something to happen to a character differently than what happened in the film i'm just saying that i didn't really feel like you know Whatever, but I mean, she's fine. She's fine in the film. Yes, she is. The acting is good in the film. Uh, Mm -hmm. I thought both of them were good, considering what the how they're acting behind. uh, You know, there's nothing there really. Uh, This is a great use of CG. I got to say that. I mean, this is this looks it looks wonderful on Blu-ray. I watched it. uh, You know, on my big TV in the in the darkened room. It looked wonderful. I mean, it's a gorgeous movie. Oh yeah, technical achievement. Yeah, yeah. And that's the only reason why I was going to watch it anyway is because of Quran, because I love him so much. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I think I gave it like, uh, I mean, if I was to get scored on our scoring thing, I'd probably do uh, six and a half, maybe six and sure. a half, six point seven five, somewhere in there. Maybe, yeah. maybe close to a seven, but probably right in between six and a half and a seven, probably probably six point seven five is probably the closest I could get to it. Sure. So that's about where I fell on it. So, yeah, I mean, you're on the same page on that one. Um like I said, I'm still catching up on some of the stuff I didn't get to see for the cram, so that's what uh, that gravity came in the mail. So I got a few more coming that uh, I'll be checking out soon. Uh, I watched a couple 30 for 30s. Uh, these were called Soccer Stories. I guess these are little half-hour short films. One of them directed by one Brett Ratner, oh. of all people. Uh, that one's called The Mystery of the Remy, Remy Trophy. Remy? Remy? Yeah, the World Cup Trophy. Yep. Um, this is good stuff. I mean, it, it, it's probably... My second favorite Brett Ratner film. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to let you know what my first one is. You got to figure that out <laughs> on 
never let air my dirty laundry. That's right. <laughs> Actually, I think I like two of his films a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I'll be fair. Uh, there is a couple of things that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know okay, yeah. but he as a person is a disgusting. Oh yeah, I don't like him as a person at all. No, slaw. Oh, he's so gross. Um, but it, it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's interesting that Remy Trophy has had a really well distinguished uh, career. To say the least, and it's not really no questions answered. It's really just fascinating stuff, and, and it's kind of interesting how people put so much value in a thing, you know, like the Stanley oh, yeah. Cup, the Remy Trophy, the you know, blah blah blah. You know, I can name names and names all that, but it's amazing how we can create things and we make it because of how, what we sacrifice to get this thing. We make it something, right? So, uh-huh. and the Remy Trophy might be the greatest example of that. So, if you're not familiar with it, I definitely recommend you check it out. Otherwise, uh, if you're a soccer fan, yeah, sure. You know, or if you're just a thirty for thirty fan, sure, it's not great, but it's it's pretty good uh, short film. The other one I watched was a short film was really good. I, actually, I think they could have made this a full length feature, and I wish they would have. Uh, Barbosa, the man that made Brazil cry. Yeah. This is uh, the goalie that uh, when Brazil first built the big stadium they have there, and they hosted the World Cup. I think. In oh 19, yeah, yeah. I think it's fifty four, fifty something. I'm not. I'm the not a soccer fan. Bern, Berndau or what the hell is it called? Yeah, I, I'm not Berndau. a soccer guy, so. Forgive me for those of you who love soccer or football. Uh, I am not a soccer Burn guy. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, but uh, I I watched this one and it's really great because Barbosa was a great goalie, a great soccer player, a hero really in a lot of ways. But that year, you know, this is known fact. I'm not spoiling anything because the story is more about what happened to Barbosa after the fact. Uh, you know, he missed a. You know, he cost. Well, people thought he cost the the uh, the team the win. The 58 World Cup, you said? Yeah, I think like 50. It was in the 50s for sure. I'm, I, by the way, for all of our football-loving fans, I, I just really embarrassed myself because that stadium <laughs> I was I just said is actually the, a stadium in um, uh, that Real Madrid plays in. So in Spain, not even in Brazil. <laughs> hey, so, you know. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's Oops. okay. I wouldn't even be able. I, I, I said yeah, so I didn't know what the fuck you were even talking about. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm too busy watching Daniel Green action movies to carry it. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this is a good one. It's a good little short one. I, I wish this one would have had more in-depth uh, story because Barbosa lived a long life, and he lived a very interesting life after the fact. And he was much. He was very much a hero. Uh, and then after that incident, he was very much chastised. And it's 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 interesting in that way that the Remy Trophy is that we put value in trophies, and that these people countries put value in a championship, and then shun actual human beings because of faults. Uh, yeah. Those are fascinating stories to me because, I mean, at what level are you so good that you can shun another person that way? Because I'd like it's to terrible. see you out there doing that. Well, and that's the thing. You see it so much. I mean, we could, I'm sure this off the top of our head, we could name five or six stories, whether it's Scott Norwood or uh, what's his name there, Bartman or... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so many. This guy... Um, you name it. There's so many stories of, of people that their lives were changed for. Buck, Buck, Bill Buckner is a great. Bill Buckner is a big, big time example. Um, I don't know. On yeah. and on it goes. Scapegoats, I mean, man. This it's it's a, it's a nasty human condition to scapegoat yeah. something. Really, just nasty. Uh, you need to see that Steve Bartman documentary, by the way. You really need to watch I that. Oh, I was going to watch it about a month ago. Yeah, you need to watch that one for sure. That one and the Survive and Advance one. Those are the two you really need to get to next. Survive and Advance. Which one's that? Is that a tennis that's, one? That's uh, Jimmy Volvano. That's the Jim oh, Volvano that's story. Oh, right, man. I got to see that. Yeah, I think you'll really like that one. I, I just know you will. So that's that awesome. made my that made my top uh, 
35. Write that down, actually, so we don't forget. Yeah, Survive in Advance, and I can't remember what the Bartman one's called, but anyway. Uh, and last but certainly not least, I watched Blue Ruin. Uh, oh, nice. I had some time. This was a $8 rental, uh, VOD, and I was like, you know what? I really have wanted to see this film since I heard about it, and I'm going to check it out because I love a good revenge film. I've heard good things, and this puppy did not disappoint me. I really, really love City of Ruin. I mean, Blue City of Ruin. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit of a maybe a tease for what we're going to talk about when we talk about City of Pirates. But uh, no, Blue Ruin. I really loved it. Uh, it's easily in my top 30 already this year. So I really was trying to cram before year end, so yeah. I'll consider it for this year then. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. Very minimal. Uh, when you see it, you'll. It's one of those films where you'll say, "Oh yeah, Rick would really like this." <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping you will as well, though, because it is. It is really, really well done. Uh, very nice, uh, small film. Uh, really, really, very brilliant. Really, in a lot of ways, and very good acting. Some powerful acting in there. Really good stuff. But uh, yeah, that rounds out the week. All right, so. What are we going to talk about first, Large William? Um, we're going to talk about um, Charlestown Chiefs, I think. <laughs> the Charlestown Chiefs? Sure. I can do that. I can do that. All right, we'll be right back with Slapshot. Swear you'll listen to the good, the bad, and the odd. The good. He has the cruelty of Jack Nicholson's Joker, the wit of Mark Hamill's Joker, yeah. and the laugh of Cesar Romero. <laughs> the bad. He's bald, he's got a cat, he lives in a volcano. What else do you need? And the odd. I've seen bits of it, it's really stupid. Swear to me. Just a couple of guys talking about movies. You can find us on www. The good, the bad, and the odd.com. What a beautiful podcast. bet that everybody was shaking their ass when they heard that tune so you can't not i know it's just it's it's amazing what did ggtm say that was a maxine nightingale i think was it i think I it's believe one. so yeah so <laughs> i think it was a one-hit wonder but it's a great tune great tune uh what i what i realized about watching slapshot this time was how great the soundtrack actually is it's oh, amazing yeah. it's amazing i did i never even noticed that like the many times i've seen it before that so uh so we're gonna get into a slap shot from 1977. I selected this film. I had seen it before. I kind of promised we'd recover it. 
uh, back when Paul Newman passed away, which was, uh, geez, how long has that been now? Five years ago? Four or five years. We were going to double it with Fort Apache, the Bronx. Yeah, yeah, because I think it had happened the year we we uh, started the show. I believe so, 2008. Yeah. So, yeah. The pride of Shaker Heights, Ohio, Mr. Paul Newman. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll get into this. Uh, a couple of just little tidbits. Uh, what we should say right off the top of that. Uh, am I speaking English? Uh, <laughs> this is Paul Newman's favorite film he ever made. Yeah. Uh, and his favorite role he ever played. Uh, which is interesting when you watch this film in hindsight. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure this had nothing to do with his personal beliefs. Maybe it did. I don't know. But he definitely is having fun in this film. And, well, I feel uh, like it's the sleazy, less talented, um, spiritual, kind of like future version of Fast Eddie, you know, in some yeah. ways. Like it's a similar character in some ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, you're right. It's, uh, it, it's, it's very interesting. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. But yeah, 1977, directed by George Roy Hill. I'll synopsize. We'll get Will talking about it here. A failing ice hockey team finds success using constant fighting and violence during games. <laughs> And that's a that's a basic uh, that's the basic synopsis there. Large William, I know you've seen it before, but what did you think on a revisit? Well, it was nice to revisit. I saw it a lot when I was younger. Being Canadian, it's you know, I mean, it's it's hot. It's a hockey film. It's the most beloved of all hockey films uh, for good reason. It's one of the most beloved sports films. One of the most beloved guy films. Oh, easily well, top ten sports film all time. Oh yeah, and one of the most beloved comedies. I mean, this kind of crosses into a lot of different categories for people um so i had a bit of burnout with the film i didn't watch it for probably about 15 it's been oh, yeah. the first time in about 15 years i haven't seen it so. i haven't seen it in 20 so yeah so you know it was one of those now one thing i do want to give credit where it's due here is to nancy dowd yeah yeah because nancy dowd wrote the film i mean we'll talk about george roy hill in a minute too here who is a really and someone else had said it and he beat us to the punch and we were going to say it in the review is criminally underappreciated filmmaker um so but nancy dowd wrote the film and she wrote it based on her brother's experiences playing in the minors and there's a lot of his teammates and uh, he's in the film so there's a lot of real life in this film and uh, Nancy Dowd, though, really fascinating career as far as being a writer goes. This is a sports film. If we're going to use cliches, um, a woman understands male bonding and the male psyche, you know, much better than almost any man who's ever written a sports film does. I don't know if you know this, but you did mention it. You know, her brother, who, for those of you who don't know or listen to this, Ogie Oglethorpe, yeah, is the character he plays. But right. uh, he was also in Southern Comfort, and he also did uh, 48 Hours. He was in 48 Hours. But I don't know if a lot of people don't know this, but I'm, I didn't know if you did or not. But this, Ogie Oglethorpe was one of the executive producers of Apocalypto. I did not know that. And That's that, mind-blowing. That is crazy, isn't it? State of Grace, uh, Last of the Mohicans, uh, Wonder Boys. Wow. He's worked with a lot of people as a producer. So Ogie Oglethorpe bringing the thunder. <laughs> you and see him in this film. He's a guy named like Goldie Goldthorpe or something, yeah. I think. He has amazing hair in this film. He has an impressive <laughs> afro, like a perm. It's amazing. But Nancy Dowd, his sister, Ogie's sister in real life, mm-hmm. um, she done, not only did she write this, she wrote arguably one of the other greatest sports films of all time, which we've covered on the show, North Dallas 40. Yes. Yes, she did. She also wrote a film that I, truth be told, I was going to pick next week if it had been a free pick, Straight Time. Oh, nice, nice. I didn't know that. I didn't know she wrote that. She also wrote what I think is, 
I would say it's the best anti-war film to come out of the 70s, a real favorite of mine. And I'm sure you're I'm pretty sure you're a big fan too. Uh, the Hal Ashby film Coming Home. Yes, I am a big fan. She wrote a lot of stuff. She wrote Cloak and Dagger, or, which you guys are ordinary reviewed. people. Ordinary people. She wrote Swing Shift, which is a Jonathan Demi film. She wrote Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains as a, yeah. as Rob Morton to bring it back to Ellen Aim. Jesus, she wrote a lot of yeah. stuff, man. White Knights, which oh, uh, that is a very <laughs> GGT. Gregory Hines, Mariel <laughs> Mikhail Baryshnikov joint. It's a very GGTMC movie there. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I mean, she's really when you talk about underappreciated writers and people who don't get their due in um Man, I'd love she it. wrote early SNL 1981 she's still alive I'd love to talk to her maybe we'll try to reach out to her she, she's got to be a fascinating person to talk to oh big time man big time i mean she really i mean look at the variety between sports and being, being able to look beneath the surface things like north dallas 40 and this and Straight time. I mean, all across the board, uh, you know, just the, the gritty, the grit and humanity mm. uh, of the men that she wrote. And you get that sometimes. I think, um, you know, it's, you know, it takes uh, an, uh, an eye that is not um, someone's opening a box or something out of the room, man. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we got to say, I mean, this is a this is a quintessential 70s film. Would you oh, agree? Oh, I would say absolutely it is. It's yes. it's so important. And, you know, George Roy Hill, too. Yeah. Another guy that uh, doesn't really get his due. He had a run there um, from, let's say, 69 to 70 to this film, and even up past this film to 82. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Slaughterhouse-Five, The Sting, Great Waldo Pepper, Slapshot, Little Romance, which I don't know what that is, and then The World According to Garp. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a run, and that's, again, variety. Yeah. And I think using Dowd and Hill, now that we're looking at them and see what the common thread is, it's people that have, um, they've worked in a variety of, uh, or they've dabbled creatively in a variety of uh, types of lives and types of people and allows them to not have a myopic, reverent opinion of something. Yeah. Well, I think what one of the things George Roy Hill does really well, and I agree with you, he is underrated. He's not a stylist director. Uh, he's a very competent, very accomplished, and and you know he's made some really great films. I mean, Butch Cassidy's a great film. Sting, I love the Sting. I mean, these are very inter- yeah, yeah, these are very entertaining and just very well made films. But I think what he really nails as a director, if there was one thing I would say that he really nails, it's male camaraderie. Mm-hmm. He really nails that. You think about Butch Cassidy, you think about the Sting, and you think about Slapshot, and you think about these relationships between men. Absolutely, and the joy. Uh, that you that men get out of those relationships. Yeah, yeah. When I think of those films, especially this and Sting, um, I I have a smile on my face when I think about them. Oh yeah, really. I mean, Bush Cassidy's a little bit different tonally, you know, than those two. But um, it's it, yeah. I mean, it's just the the joy of that uh, male kind of bonding. You know, it's uh, it's really something. So I think I had to get that out of the way between Dowd and him. Because they kind of get lost in the shuffle here a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's shot. Where are we here? I'm into Kemper. 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 Where is it? Cast and crew. I was curious to see what else Kemper had shot. The uh, DOP Victor Kemper, because his name rung a bell to me. Uh, I'm sure. I know he shot a few things. Um, oh, man, he shot a lot of things. Yeah, there's some. He things. shot. They might be giants. Friends of Eddie Coyle. Seamus. Yeah. Dog the Afternoon, yeah, he Stay was, Hungry, Mikey and Nikki. Yeah, he's a big part of the 70s. I remember his big name. Eyes of Laura Mars, The mm-hmm. Jerk. 
Yeah. Xanadu. Jingle all the way. Ooh, what's this? I've never even heard of this. Choo Choo and the Philly Flash? Yeah, that's a. I think that's a. Uh, Alan Arkin, Carol Burnett. Yeah. Wow. I've seen that film. I haven't seen it in ages, but I've seen it. Yeah, so, uh, okay. Conan Tate. Actually, he shot Conan Tate FX2. <laughs> he shot Night of the Juggler. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Jingle all the way. Again, variety, right? Yeah, yeah. These are people that are just pros. Um, Jingle all the way. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, you had mentioned this. Paul Newman said this was his favorite film. Paul Newman is, is I think he's kind of on the Mount Rushmore of, of American iconic actors all time. Like, he, he's up there. True. I mean, who, would you, who would you say is sort of American acting royalty? Brando, him, uh, Redford. <sighs> yeah, McQueen. Kinda, McQueen. McQueen's kind of a I little bit more. It depends on yeah. who you are. But. Yeah, I mean, and you get, and really. Of the era, when you go from the fifties on, you got your Newmans and your Brandos and stuff like that. Before that, you got guys like you know, Coop, James Dean, yeah, and Cooper and and these very stoic actors and stuff. But they're not; they're a different type of actor. Alan Ladd, yeah, yeah Paul, Paul Newman and Redford and Brando and all these guys. That's, Beatty, yeah, there's, that, that's a very different type of acting. But I agree with you. Um, Paul Newman was one of the great actors of all time. Uh, he could act. He could. Uh, he could be funny. He could be serious. He he could do everything. I, I've I most everything I've ever seen Paul Newman in. Uh, the films haven't always been great, but he was always great in them and always likable. And I think people are always quick to compare George Clooney. I want to say it's to Cary Grant. Is that the comparison usually? Yeah, so they 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 comparing him a little bit. Although I think Burt Reynolds really is more Cary Grant than. But in a different yeah. way than a different way, Clooney's. more southern kind of southern fried. Uh, Clooney, Clooney's not. much more talented than uh, Cary Grant. I mean, Clooney can write and direct, and I mean, I, I know what they're going for—that kind of likability goofball that he can do sometimes. Yeah. But Clooney's Clooney's also a very good serious actor. Well, he is, and this is why I think there's more of a through line between Newman and Clooney because I think they're both classy people who not a lot of people have a lot of bad things to say. Newman was was loved. Mm-hmm. I, I, you don't hear too many bad stories. Newman did a lot of, uh, he was very philanthropic. Yeah. Um, you know, made a hell of a, made a hell of a salad dressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, he he uh, changed but, a lot. I remember he changed a lot when his uh, son died. His, he, he lost a son uh, to drugs, yeah. I believe. And uh, that changed him a lot. He slowed down a lot acting wise and everything after that. But, and he didn't work a whole lot. But I mean, up until the end, even in some like uh, like Message in a Bottle, which is a Kevin Costner romance movie, he's even great in that. Yeah, he's a rare actor that, despite being as handsome as he was, guys still loved him. Uh, women loved. I mean, he was just rare talent. Mm-hmm. You know, rare talent, and and he could act too. I mean, he was flat out talented. I mean, yeah, you know, there's no two ways about it. Um, but you know, to move past him for a minute, um, the only stories I know about him that you could you could say in an in a negative light but this is pretty common in hollywood he was very competitive you know that kind of yeah. comes with the race car driving and everything else yeah. I, I got I, I told you that great or i posted on uh, the facebook uh, group about the towering inferno that great story about him and mcqueen <laughs> yeah. yeah how you know newman's he won the battle to get his name above mcqueen's mcqueen was like okay i just want my name on the left because everybody reads left to right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and th- there was a lot of that newman did like being the movie star but so did steve mcqueen but these guys you know i mean that's you know I mean, you're a movie star, you're a movie star, you know? Yeah. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. But this film, when you talk about, see, we've talked about a lot of things. Talk about being sports film, guy film, comedy, and it's all those things. But another thing, this film is a cult film. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
and it's transcended that, but I think it, it really is, it has a cult following. Yeah. There's people, you know, Coop comes to mind, anyone that loves, not even just loves sports. There's so many people from, you know, Rodrigo, our good friend in Sweden, to Coop, our friend from Strong Island, that, that adore this film. Because it, when you make a film this well, it becomes universal, regardless of whether it's hockey or baseball or jockeys, uh, whatever it is. It becomes very much a universal thing when it's well-written like this. And I think that's one of the great strengths of this film is how well-written it is. It is an unbelievably blue, and when we say blue, I mean <laughs> vulgar in terms of language. Yeah. It is so vulgar, yeah. but... Controversial at the time, and maybe even more controversial now. Because, as like you would said, some of the things that are uh, would in this day and age certainly... Would yeah. be politically incorrect, oh, but <laughs> in saying that, you and I, especially as we get older, I, I, I really don't have a taste for people filling sentences with "fuck this" and "fuck that" and vulgarity for vulgarity's sake. But mm-hmm. this is so well written that the vulgarity in this film works well and feels organic to the film. Well, I also think that you know you you put twelve, fifteen guys together in a locker room, it's going to get crass real quick, real quick. And well, look at us again, not to whatever. Yeah. Talk to, look at horror around, man. Yeah. We're sitting well, on that gazebo at four in the morning. And yeah. Well, not only that, but I mean, if you guys heard the way Will and I talk before I hit record, sometimes I mean, we're, we're just like, you know, sometimes we're just a couple of guys. But yeah. you know, that's not that's not to say that you know we're sitting around blasting races and sexual no, preferences no, and no, things no, like no. that. But you know, there is a difference between being polite and a difference between being blue. And this film has no interest in being polite. And I think. Um. That's one of the sweet things about the movie in a lot of ways. This is this this film and the Bad News Bears remind me of each other in a lot of Absolutely ways. Absolutely they do. Because the Bad News Bears, which I think is one of the great American films, really. Mm-hmm. I uh, agree. It, it's amazing that you could get away with films like this. And that was what was so great about the 70s. You would never be able to make a Bad News Bears. Now, they tried. They did make one. And yeah. there were some great jokes Billy Bob Thornton had in there. But they would always make sure the kids were off the screen or something like that. You know, the kids weren't, you know... The kids weren't around when Billy Bob Thornton was saying his stuff, you know. And stuff. Well, I mean, at least that I, that I can recall. But I'm not saying that. that I mean, I like that film because it's Linklater, and I do like that film. But I, I love the original film. Uh, but these movies, the, you're not going to see movies like this anymore. This is a time capsule. Is it? You know, should it be valued? Uh, that's up to that's up to people to say. I think as a film, it should be as a time capsule and for what it captures. Yes, uh, I do. I do admit watching it this time, I cringed a lot. The, the two things that that made me cringe the most one was the the kind of the gay yeah the homosexual the gay, slang homosexual is, is slang so bla- was pretty it's so awful ba- yeah it's bad it's really bad <laughs> it's really bad and then even though it's funny it's appalling is the joke at the near the back end with the owner's son with with Newman oh yeah I know I hate to laugh but it, yeah it's it is funny but it's awful at the same time it is I agree. Um, and I, as an aside, Neck just posted that last year his dad made him watch a Marco Polo film with Brian Dennehy, Brian Dennehy playing a Mongol. <laughs> Jeez! Wow, there's a lot Speaking of white, of, a lot of white actors that play Mongols. White actors play Mongols. <laughs> Speaking of um, exotic, I love that they call it. And this is a nice segue. I'm impressed with myself here that they talk about one of the suits when they're in the, doing the fashion show. They call it the Omar Sharif. <laughs> which is amazing well, let me tell you that fashion show my note is we have a ggtmc fashion show that is ridiculous that fashion show is amazing 
It is amazing. And I'll tell you, this film is so... One of the reasons I think that this film speaks to so many people is how well written it is and so how quotable it is. Like there's... we could I could have just not taken notes from the film and just written down about 100 lines from the film. <laughs> Easily. I, I'm going to miss lines. I, I just said, you know what? People know this film. They love this film. I can't get them all. There's no. so many lines in this film. And um, <laughs> like in the fashion show, there's that hilarious line when he says... Uh, he gets so frustrated with having to do fashion shows and all this nonsense PR stuff. Because the, the thing that's great about this is this is pre-YouTube, pre-Twitter. I'm laughing because I'm thinking about some of the things, you know. Pre-ESPN, pre-ESPN, pre-ESPN. Uh, well, that would be pre-ESPN, press-PN. Yeah, that's right. It would be. And you had to really take on the used car salesman shtick if you wanted to promote your team. So – he says, I'm going to whip out my dick in the fashion show. Yeah. And everyone in the audience, with the exception of my wife, will be running towards the exit. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just uh, a great line. I laugh so much watching this again. And, oh, yeah. and uh, it, it was just amazing. I mean, just amazing how many lines I laughed at. I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't help. I, I couldn't oh. help it. I just, even some of the stuff that I know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! I mean, I, you know, I hate to say this, but I mean, it, it is. It, you better, you know. The, well, I'm not going to say it. it. It involves the when he's talking about the owner's son, so I'm not going to say anything. Oh yeah, that was a funny line, though. As as yeah. much as it's, you know, obviously in real, this is a film. In real life, it's beyond appalling. But yeah. in the context of the film, in the spirit of the film, it's it certainly is very yeah. funny. He's going to have someone's cock in his mouth before he could say Jack Robinson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right, man. <laughs> I mean, it's awful, but I mean, the way he says it and the way he delivers the delivery, it. delivery. Yeah. yeah. It's really fantastic. The line. <laughs> I, love, and, I love also just seeing Paul Newman, the great Paul Newman, say, Suzanne sucks pussy. <laughs> <laughs> when he's busting that guy's balls about his wife. That's Eddie, Arca that's Eddie Arcadian, by the way. What? Yeah. Hannah Hanaran no, Han is Eddie Arcadian, man. Oh, man. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> My mind is blown. My mind is blown because <laughs> yeah, this has a, a colorful cast. A lot of hockey players um, sprinkled, sprinkled. Man, I didn't even see that. It was Christopher Murney. Holy shit. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. As soon as he took that mask off, I was like, I know that guy's face from somewhere. Oh, man, I'm embarrassed. I didn't uh, I didn't recognize this. Because there's, there's people like him, Paul Dooley's sprinkled in here, and Emmett Walsh. Oh, he's great. Um, he's great in the film. He's very he's very normal in the film, but he has a great scene with his kids where he, he just totally kind of pushes does. them. <laughs> he pushes yeah, them Dickie away. Yeah, Dunn. He's got that great scene. Yeah, with the he says, uh, the girl, his little girl, says, uh, my son called me a pussy, or called <laughs> your, your your my brother or whatever called me a pussy. He just kind of shuts the door on them. And he goes, yeah, you guys work it out. <laughs> you guys work it out. Yeah, it's hilarious, man. Uh, like she she underlines the fuck scenes for you, Jesus. She underlines yeah, the yeah. fuck scenes for you. He's like, yeah, they teach you an underlying college, and he goes, not the fuck scenes, they don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, Newman man. Newman has so many great lines. <laughs> he really, really does, and he was not again coming from a classic. He was coming from a different time, and he had said he didn't swear a lot before he made this film. Yeah. But it you know it, he couldn't help it but uh, uh, he calls the Hanson brothers fucking retards I mean, again that line is awful in contemp in a contemporary setting yeah I know <laughs> but, but in the context <laughs> of the film I know when I was growing hilarious. up that's what everybody called people with learning disabilities and it's yeah. it's shameful I'm not gonna lie it's shameful of course it is I would never I would never use that word in public or private even yeah. if no one ever heard me there would be no repercussions of no 
you know, no big thing of it. It's an appalling word. Again, yeah. obviously it is. I'm, but I'm laughing because I'm reading some of the quotes. Uh, the one McCracken says, Dunlop, you suck cock. And he goes, all I can get. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I said, yeah, that's right. Um, I think one of the great strengths of the film, one of the things that humanizes <laughs> the characters in the film is the fact that this is minor leagues. It doesn't, it's not interested in the glory of a Stanley Cup, of a goal. It's these guys trying to carve out their little teeny tiny piece of glory for them to get paid. You know, it's a very much on a smaller scale, and I think it, it humanizes things that much more. Yeah. Yeah, I think I enjoy films about the minor leagues, the workmen, sometimes more oh, for sure. than the professional stuff. Um, not to say there hasn't been some great professional-related uh, type films. I mean, North Dallas 40 is supposed to be the NFL, and it's pretty great. Yeah, uh, We absolutely. talked about that. But, I mean, Bull Durham, I don't know if you've ever seen Bull Durham. But I never have. It's a great minor league, workman-like uh, uh, kind of examination. And I like that a lot because I think – you know, what you're seeing is the guys that are really, really, really working hard. Because, I mean, the difference between minor league pay, at least I know in baseball, but I'm sure it's like this in every professional sport, the minor leagues to pros, I mean, you're talking about like a, sometimes a 300 to 400 to 1,000% increase in pay. Big time. Well, the guys that in their minor leagues that are successful in the minor leagues, you know, maybe they get – the guys that haven't been sent down, but guys that are working their way up, they may make enough that a, a comfortable middle-class full-time job would give them, but – they're not living high on the hog, man. No, 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 no. And and they're going to be people like this. I think this is also, you know, when you talk about the language and you talk about the, the way these guys are, I mean, you're going to get these blue-collar, nasty people sometimes who are trying to make a living because, you know, they don't go to – they even the, – one of the main characters in the film is a college boy, quote-unquote. Yeah, that's right. And they make fun of him because you're like, you know, hey, you know, you could, you could do something with your life. Why the fuck do you want to do this? That's right. And he just wants to play hockey. He has a passion for it, yeah. No, it's true. Um, but yeah, the cast for this film is really good. Everyone, There's no weak performances because no. everyone feels very natural. Struther Martin's great as Joel McGrath. Oh, he's so good in this film. He is so good. He's such a cheap son of a bitch. <laughs> and always talking about old-time hockey and name-dropping Eddie Shore and <laughs> Joe Blake. And it's just, uh, it's really good. It's really, really good. And, and I think as a hockey fan, there are certain things that, that – you know, enrich it if you're a hockey fan. Like just the, you know, the organ and what the organ means to hockey, and you mm-hmm. see the puck bunnies in the audience, and um, just some of the interesting things too. How like the timestamp, no helmets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's insane. I think when I was a young boy, when I was about seven, eight, nine, there was still a couple players. I was it Luke was Luke Richardson. I'm trying to think. I think Coffee went pretty long without wearing a helmet. There was quite a few guys well into the eighties, I think, who went without a helmet. Yeah, up until eighty seven, eighty eight, nine. Didn't they? Didn't they eventually make it a rule where you had to wear a helmet? Oh yeah, you have to, man. It's, yeah. it's yeah. Well, and, I mean, it's uh, like minor, it's like Major League Baseball. You know, if you look back in old Major League Baseball, you know, they, of course they didn't have helmets, and then when they did go to helmets, not everybody was required to wear one, so some people still wore the hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, to bat and stuff, which is just insane when you think about somebody throwing a hundred mile an hour fastball and you don't have something to protect your head. Oh man, it's crazy. Well, you look. I've said to you before. You look at goalie hockey cards from like the fifties. <laughs> I know they have like divots out of their face. It looks like their face is made of clay that someone's just taken chunks out of. Yeah, it's, I used it's to. Th- un- 
unbelievable. I used to think all the teeth missing were always from fights, you know, but a lot of the te- I know a lot of the teeth missing also sticks and yeah, pucks. Yeah, and- sticks and pucks. I mean, they'll take a tooth out, man. Big time. I've seen well, some, some of the worst sports injuries I've ever seen have been stick related and and cross oh. and cross check related. I remember, oh man, uh, Nikolai Borshevsky, little tiny guy for the Leafs, 90, 92 maybe. Mm-hmm. He was about five six, hundred and sixty pounds. He broke his orbital bone. Oh yeah. So his eye was just like red. Yeah. I mean, it was just terrible, man. Terrible, but. Uh, but just little things, seeing goalies playing stand-up, you know, wah, you know, popularized butter, the butterfly style, uh, you know, mid-80s, and that caught on, and see small pads on goalies, and um, just to see all that stuff from a hockey perspective was was really fascinating. But uh, I agree. I got to say, man, Newman brings the fashion plate status. <laughs> How did you like that tan leather pants and jacket combo? He rocks that hard, man. He he does something we've never seen on the show. He wears a baby blue sweater, and he puts his gold watch on outside the sweater. Yeah. Like the sweater's tucked in through the watch. He also loves the uh, the Valentine Hart boxer shorts. Oh, man. Does he ever? He loves furs and leathers. Oh, those jackets. Yeah, they're amazing. Man, he's got the, he's got an amazing wardrobe in this. It's uh, <laughs> it, he, he outdoes uh, Lee Van Cleef last week. Oh, he really does. Yeah, Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, and it's the same year, right? So 77, man. Yeah. 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 But I got to say, listening back to uh, right, last week's episode, I loved the, the Lee Van Cleef. Did you see that video I posted? <laughs> yeah, I did. I love my ass off. <laughs> oh, shit. Don't touch but, the hair. You imagine Lee Van Cleef uh, as, <laughs> as Dunlop. <laughs> oh, God. He could deliver some of those lines. I have no doubt. And he could be yeah, the crotchety old pitcher, like an Eckersley type or something. Yeah, he could have played basically. the Strother Martin character pretty well. Probably. Yeah, yeah, he could have. There's something about there's something about Strother Martin. He he always plays shit heels or scumbags. But well, same with my favorite performance of his is Hard Times. Yeah, he's great in that. He's great. And he's, have you ever seen him in Cool Hand Luke? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he's great in that too. Yeah. But he's such a shit. And yet at the same time, I I love when he's on screen. He's just. He's one of those actors who just I love everything he does. I mean, he just he's so natural and so and yet so unique. There's nobody that really ever delivered lines quite like no. Strother Martin. He's like a southern snake oil salesman <laughs> that you can't help but love. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's really great. Now, we haven't talked about the Hanson brothers yet. The Hanson brothers yeah. are probably the most iconic thing in the film. Yes. I mean, they're really something. And it was. I'm glad I took the time <laughs> between viewings yeah. for this because, they, like, because they're so iconic. Especially being here in Canada, man, it's just people dress up as them all the time. Yeah, they get the glasses with the tape and everything else. And but they are amazing in the film. They're just they're a force of nature. Yeah, they're one of those movie creations that you just can't. Well, you can't explain it because they're just so magical. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, they're just magical. I mean, the minute they come on screen, they just—it's electrifying. I mean, they're absolutely—they're che- checking a Coke machine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's and it's such a—it's such a an iconic opening, and it's uh, it's they're beating the shit out of the Coke machine, and that's got that that line when they're talking. You know, the guys don't know what to make of them, and they go, "They brought their fucking toys with them. Yeah, they brought their fucking toys." <laughs> so I can hear Lee Van Cleef saying that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come but on, they're, man. They're they brought really... their fucking toys. <laughs> <laughs> My Lee Van Cleef is. Oh, man. I'm going to perfect that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
No, they're great. They're great. My, one of my favorite things, my, one of my favorite scenes, and it's my make or break for the whole film. I, I mean, there's a million make or breaks in this, but my favorite make or break, and I'm giving it away early, but I got to say it because we're talking about the Hanson brothers. When Newman does that first uh, pep talk speech in the locker room, Mm-hmm. And the handsome brothers are always coming in right behind him, <laughs> and he's looking over. I'm like, "What the fuck is wrong with these guys?" Oh, Man, yeah. I laughed so hard watching that in in the house when my son and my wife were sleeping in the other room. I had to put a pillow <laughs> over my face because I was laughing so hard. I'm like, "Yeah, come on, let's fucking get them." <laughs> it's. I think the thing with this film is it, it's so well written, and it, the timing of the lines <laughs> is so perfect. Yeah, the timing and the rhythm because a lot of comedy is about timing and rhythm. Everyone, their timing is just perfect. Mm-hmm. It, it's and like we said, there's a great use of cussing in this. Yes, yes, I mean, really yeah. great use of. Cussing. I mean, yeah, like like we said, I mean, it is it is obviously a very blue movie, very non politically correct, um, but it, it's not. I don't think it's celebrating these people as good people because really, just let me get this off my chest. Paul Newman is great in the film, but really, Paul Newman's character is a is a real. He's really a fucking prick. And he's a, he's scummy, sleazy. He does some awful things in this film. Uh, he he's is, a liar. Yeah, he is. Just, he's a dirtbag. He but is a dirt this bag. is kind of what was great about seventies era cinema is they didn't celebrate these people. They just made these people something, and they were interesting. Let's be honest. Is it the guy that goes into a laundromat and does his clothes and washes his clothes and leaves? Is he an interesting character? Is the guy that goes into the laundromat, washes his clothes, smacks a woman, shoots a kid, and then leaves the laundromat? Who's the more interesting character there? Yeah, well, what story exactly? Or, or steals, you know, uh, you know, underwear from the washing machine beside him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or when the woman goes to the washroom, he's putting it on his head. I mean, very sleazy, but there's more interesting things there. I mean, he's he's a misogynist. He's a, a racist in some ways. Homophobic. Uh, of course, this is, could be uh, catered to the times as well. But not only that, he he has very bad marriage. He's cheated on his wife several thousand times. He, he's almost willing to sleep with a young kid's wife. Mm-hmm. He's 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 a bad person. He's a bad person. He's basically lying to his whole team. So yeah, and making them and making them play an ugly version of hockey. That you know, we all know. You know that used to get people in the seats. I mean, I just watched that uh, documentary a couple weeks ago, The Last Gladiators, and one of the reasons why you have a quote unquote goon on your team is not only protect your star players, but also because fights can bring crowds. I mean, that can bring yeah. people to a sport. And it's unfortunate, but it's like gladiators. I mean, that's what brings people out sometimes. Maybe not the right kind of fan, but still. No. Well, yeah, this was a hype with Philly Broad Street Bullies, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's a great example. I mean, That's they, a great yeah, document as well. I'm looking forward to that Rob Zombie film. I'm hoping that I am as well. Actually, it should be interesting. Uh, another thing that's interesting is the referee shirts in this. They're not. They're not zebras. They're like candy stripes, like candy canes or barbershop pulls. That reminds me of another great scene when he's talking to one of the Hanson brothers. Like, I'm trying to listen to the fucking song. Yeah, I love that. I think that might be my favorite moment in the film because they they've gotten into a brawl before the game. Beautifully shot. It shows all them fucking bloody. The <laughs> anthems playing. Just oh man, it's and so good. The ref's so mad he can't even. He has to say something during the fucking anthem. <laughs> no, I know he has to. I, I, yeah, that's it. Um, we get some. We get a, a trifecta of tuxedo t-shirts. Oh man, amazing. <laughs> my, oh, son, man's got my son has one of those. Oh nice. <laughs> yeah, he's got nice. one of those. Uh, you know who I think, and I'd never put two and two together before, 
who I think borrows heavily from this film in all of the films he made that were sports-related is Adam Sandler. The way the yeah. violence is shot in this, the violence is hilarious in this. And I feel like the violence he shoots, like in um, uh, like Waterboy or Happy Gilmore, feels like the violence in this. Mm. The way they're very blue. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Vulgar. Um, yeah, well, you know, but the time being different, like he can't go that one step further. Like he can take it pretty far. Yeah. But he can't take it like that one step further that this film does because, you know, this film, you know, this is like the, 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 uh, you know, the, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to say something, but I can't really say it without saying something awful too. So I'm not going to say it. No, no, for sure. <laughs> um, we didn't really talk about goalie. I love that the goalie, Lemieux, is, is well he's right got the french Canadian accent which is always entertaining but uh, which they riff on which is hilarious but um goalies just like pitchers are their own and drummers and music are their own breed and i love that they explore that a little bit yes yeah. uh, yeah. it's, it's good and i just i love the dynamic between all of them like between killer and and uh dunlop and uh princeton there uh ned Really great dynamic, really great dynamic. And you know who else I really like in the film is uh, he's such a pervert, Mo. <laughs> yeah. Mo reminds me of like uh, for some reason he reminds me of Warren Oates a little bit. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, yeah. He's, Mo, he's he's, uh, he's been in a lot of films. He's worked with De Palma quite a bit, and yeah. uh, uh, I can't remember. He was uh, he was the crazy mailman in Funny Farm, the last George Roy Hill film. Uh, no, he wasn't the crazy mailman. He was, but he was part of that town that we gave. Uh, Chevy Chase just crazy shit, but he's always played really good, like shit shit heels and dirt bags. Mm-hmm. That act, that character actor. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really good. Everyone's good. Though. Brad no Sullivan one. is that guy's name. Brad, Brad Sullivan. Sullivan. That's right. Um, I'll tell you, I could really. There's that. There's that moment when Dunlop, the Newman character, is trying to have a nap, and the phone rings. Someone knocks on the door. This happens. It's like I've had days like that where it's just oh, like. Yeah. Fuck yeah. me! That's the one where he, that's the moment where he sleeps with the dog, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a great. I used to my my mom and dad we raised those that breed, uh, Saint Bernards, and uh, so that's the kind of dogs I grew up with. I used to grow I grew up with a, like five and six of those at a time, those gigantic dogs. So you can imagine, you know, <laughs> a lot of hair cleaning. Let me tell you, a lot of lint brushes in my house growing up. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> I'm well trained. I'm like a Jedi with a lint brush, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love. We get another week, another bad toupee. Oh, this 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 is that's one of the worst ones I've seen. That's way worse than Van Cleef's. It is. Oh man, it's it bad. Is. Ooh, yeah, it's really dreadful. <laughs> we get Ogie at the back end of the film, and I love that they make him this mythical, yeah, titan of of goonery. <laughs> it's uh, it's really really funny. Well, I love that they do the like the longest yard thing at the end. They bring all the yeah. goons, like yeah, you know, that's right. like these Charleston Chiefs have been kicking everybody's ass. They want to play dirty. Well, fuck it. We're going to bring all the goons. And they bring in, I mean, they, they, you know, they politically incorrect again. They bring in a guy named, I don't know what his name was, uh, something Buffalo, like an Indian guy. Look like Wahoo oh, McDaniel. Guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Screaming right. Buffalo. Clarence Screaming Buffalo Swamp Town was the name that's of the right. character. <laughs> but they bring in all these uh, quote unquote goons, this like uh, ragtag group of goons. And uh, it's pretty great. And so when they, they introduced this Oglethorpe character, they, they do make him a legend, right? Because they, they talk about him like two or three times before you actually see him. And I love the one of the Hanson brothers asking if he wants to buy him a Coke. <laughs> so. Oh, it was great. It was great. I love at the end when they ask, near the end when, when Struther Martin's pissed off and they see him, Eddie Shore? 
Old time hockey. <laughs> oh man! Well, they are so they're really great, man. They're so good, man. They're so good. And we haven't even said that two out of three of them are actual brothers. Yeah. They played hockey. The third one, the third handsome brother, who was actually the third Carlson brother, so where it gets confusing, I think was had a try with the Oilers or anyway, he was getting called up. He he couldn't couldn't be in the film, but they ended up getting David Hansen to play the third handsome brother, Jack Hansen. Mm-hmm. So it's just you know another film it reminds me of in terms of the lovable losers or the misfits, which Never was done as well again through like it, the seventies and eighties was really the the golden era of the lovable losers or the misfits everything from Bad News Bears to Revenge of the Nerds yeah. to Animal House right. This reminds me a lot of Animal House in that way. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, you you look at these guys and you think, how can these guys be? They're so broken, every one of them, and they're just a bunch of you know has beens and whatnot. But they they you know they put it together and stuff. And if you look through the history of sports. You'll see that. You'll see that happens. Um, from uh, Brooklyn Dodgers teams that nobody thought could win to the Mets. I think it was the 69 Mets. That, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. You, lo- you look at, or even the 86 Mets. I mean, you look 86 at. 86 was, yeah. You look one. at these teams that people say, you know, critics, sports guys, quote unquote, will say, yeah, these guys have got no fucking chance. But sometimes, you know, that's the great thing about sports. Sometimes it just, everything's going right. And when it goes right, and you can put it all together. Now, of course, they're using tactics in this that are just, you know, kind of, you know, devious and Newman's kind of selling some stuff on on the guys to kind of get them motivated and stuff. And it's it's a very devious plan. But in fairness to the Newman character, I mean, Strother Martin's doing something even worse in a lot of ways. Yes. And the owner's even worse than that. The, right. the owner, I can't remember what her character name was in that. But, I mean, she really, you know, and, and what we got to remember is sports are our business, first and foremost. Well, even, that's it. And, and. I, I really like the scene when finally Newman gets FaceTime with her because he's oh he's he's been the big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. He's sort of his element trying to work an angle with her. Right. Um, but it's a great scene because it's a it's a cold harsh reminder that uh, guess what it is a business. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a business, and you know, and then he reacts the way he reacts, which is you know again very politically incorrect, but at the same time it's. He, he he gets to see just how dirty. I mean, he probably came up with. Let's remember when you were talking about the Brett Favre thing about idols and stuff. Well, it's mm-hmm. obvious that Reg Dunlop came up probably promising hockey career. Maybe ended up in the minors, stayed in the minors. Probably still sees the sport as this this shining glory and everything else. But it's a harsh reminder to him that his twenty years of service or whatever he's done, he was just a paycheck for somebody else. Not, yep. just, not just a paycheck for him, but it was a paycheck for somebody else. Mm-hmm. So all this good times, this uh, childhood buffoonery that he's lived in to his 40s, which isn't healthy for anybody, but we all know guys like this guy. I of mean, I, I know you do. I know I do. We've talked about him yeah. off the air. We know guys like this guy. They're not in semi-pro hockey, but we know guys that are literally just like this who refuse to grow up, really. That's true. And uh, one day they'll get that reminder or that, that eye-opening experience that really just says, hey, well, what the fuck happened, man? You know? Yeah. So, And it, it, it's really good acting by Newman because you really see in his face. You do. Uh, that, and it's too late to change yeah. it. I mean, it's, that's it, right? He's been completely betrayed at that point. And it's really this heartbreaking anger. And it's really, really good acting. Oh, yeah. Is that, all you, uh, is that all you got? Yeah, that is. I don't really have a whole lot more to add. Obviously, I've talked a lot, but uh, I mean, I will say there's a lot of Canadian tuxedos in the crowd. Whew, man, there's a lot of them. Wow. A lot Definitely. of them. Uh, 
Uh, I gotta ask. I don't know if you know, but the Hanson brothers are those glasses real? I don't know. Are they just real in that they actually wore glasses? Yeah, but I mean, if you were to wear glasses actually that thick, that would completely damage your eyes. So I'm thinking there must have been a trick, or maybe the glasses were that thick. Back in the day, man, people used to wear serious goggles. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Ooh, man, I know from being from a person who wears glasses, and I have really bad eyes. If it wasn't for the you know the polishing and the sanding down they do with lenses now, I mean, I'd be wearing. You know, if it was back in the seventies, I'd be a handsome. I'd be a handsome brother. Let me tell you that, God, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> running around screaming, putting foil on my gloves. Uh, uh, one other thing, man. I, I know you. Maybe you didn't see it. I don't. Know, I was kind of surprised. I was waiting for this note, but around the forty minute mark is a JMB signing in this. Oh thing. man, I've been shaming my game again this week. <laughs> it's very quick though, yeah, but it's that moment when uh, I think somebody's in a bar watching something on TV, and it's really quick. Uh, or maybe it's when everybody's at a party and it goes by. I can't remember, but it was it was there. I was probably was right now. I wrote a lot of notes in this. I tell you though, I didn't mention it. The montage when the Hansons finally get on the ice oh, yeah. is a thing of like chaotic beauty, <laughs> yeah. destructive beauty. It is poetry in motion. Yeah. It is amazing, and th- just like they know just when to do everything in the film. When to show Ogie. When to, when to get them on the ice. Well, I mean, have, I think that goes back to what you said. I think not only is it well written, but I think it's just one of it's a film well done by professional filmmakers, and they just know how to tell the story. They know how to do the peaks and the valleys just right. I never. This movie's not short. This movie's two hours long. Yeah. And I never. Every time I've ever watched this, I've had a good time. I've never been bored. And I revisited this time, uh, even though I know the whole film uh, very well, I had <laughs> I had no problem. Uh, getting through it again. I mean, it's just it. It's so breezy, so well paced. Uh, when they got to the the scene with all of the goons coming out, uh, I was just so excited because I was like, "Yeah, this is this gets really crazy here." Uh, it's just you know, it's just so well done. I mean, it it really is. As you said, I mean, credit to uh, uh, George Roy Hill. I mean, I know that you know, like I said, he wasn't a stylist of the seventies, but I mean, he was a very competent and. And well-to-do filmmaker, and and he picked uh, the right projects, really. Mm-hmm. Now, so <laughs> I'm trying to see that. There's a line I think that uh, when the Hansons first get on the ice, uh, uh, Paul Newman says something, uh, but I can't remember what they said. But I think one of the commentators says these guys look friggin' awful or something like that. <laughs> Somebody says something, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah, I can't remember. Unfortunately, <laughs> I also like that the goalie. He always has an allergy. He's like allergic to the fans. He's allergic to the weather. <laughs> He's always oh, talking yeah. about that. He's got quite the sweater collection. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty, you know, he's one of those actors. Oh, it's, uh, Jesus Christ, what a friggin' nightmare. I wonder if that's the scene. I, I can't remember anyway. Uh, I thought I'd seen that actor, that French Canadian actor, and a lot of other stuff, but I guess I just know him so much from this that I, I guess yeah, I just kind of put his face with it. He's more familiar than he is. Yeah. Because he's very familiar. I mean, he's he's so much that character in this film. It's pretty, it's pretty great. But yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. Let's get into our make or breaks and whatnot. Man, make or break is the the Hanson brothers first on ice. I mean, <laughs> just their appearance, the the pop machine is great, but it just gives you just enough. You know, you see them with their toy cars and the foil and everything else, and just when they get on the ice and they're whipping ass, and they're punching people out in high stick. They're just doing everything. It's just it's so it's a thing of beauty, man. It yeah, really is. It is. MBT, I could go with so many things. I could do with Newman. I could go with Dowd. I could go with uh, Hill. But I'm going to go with the camaraderie um, because I think the camaraderie 
in this amongst everyone works perfectly and it makes everyone likable and like you said that the time just flies by when you're watching the film oh yeah um, it really does and my score is an 8.5 out of 10 i think it's one of the best um again it, it's a venn value venn diagram of sports quote-unquote guy films you know uh comedies it's in much some of it is dated but a film this good is always i was gonna say tasteless uh is timeless yeah right i mean it's really timeless and and again even though it is a bit of a snapshot with some of the stuff that maybe isn't most politically correct but it's you know it's so good man yeah yeah Uh, also we should say that if this if you have a hankering for the mom from a christmas story or harry and henderson's and you want to see her breast She's in this film. Melinda Dillon, that's the, uh, the lady he, Paul Newman's sleeping with. That's the mom from A Christmas Story. That's amazing. You know, another thing, too, whenever I, I think of Swoozy Kurtz now, yeah, Swoozy. I think of, I think of um, Christopher Walken saying he was going to fuck her in the ass because <laughs> there's a really great story that Titus Welliver, Titus Welliver does the best Christopher Walken yeah, impersonation. Yeah, he does. And someone had posted it in our group, and it's about a two-minute clip where Titus Welliver was doing something with Walken and Walken says, you know, I'm not going to try to do it. But he says, I could go in that party right now and I could fuck any woman I want. And he goes, tonight, I'm going to fuck Susie Kurt and I'm going to fuck her in the ass. What do you think of that? And it's, but so whenever I hear Susie's name, I think of her getting yeah. fucked in the ass by Christopher Walken. That's my nickname when I get my lint roller out. <laughs> yeah. Call me Swoozy. Swoozy. <laughs> All right. My make or break is uh, the locker room scene that first pep talk from uh, Newman with the, the, again, the Hanson brothers are involved, though, because, you know, they're, they're going nuts in the corner and everybody's looking at them like they're crazy, including Newman, which is great. Uh, my MVT, who'd you say your MVT was again? The, the camaraderie amongst uh, yeah, the yeah. team. I'm going to go with, oh, man. You know, it, it's really hard in a lot of ways to not go with the Hanson brothers because they oh, are dude. such a pivotal part of this whole thing, this whole kind of cult film status. But not only that, but just, I mean, even people who don't really know cinema kind of know who the Hanson brothers are. They are iconic. I don't so, think that's overstating it. Yeah, So, I, but I don't want to give it to them. And I don't want to give it to Newman either because I, I feel like I'm going to give it to him. Like if we do more right. Newman films, like there's going to be a lot of opportunity to give it to Newman. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it to Doubt. So I'm glad you you said that. I'm gonna give it to the screenplay because I think the screenplay to this is is I mean it's a masterclass in my opinion, big time. And yeah, if she didn't do that, this film wouldn't be as good. Yeah. Even if Newman's in it, it doesn't gel the way it should. Dowd is an absolutely deserving uh, because without her, this film literally doesn't happen. Yeah, that's why I'm glad you mentioned her so much in the beginning because I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I mean, I just don't. This is a film that feels very well written. I don't know how much of it was improvised or what. I don't, I, but I don't get the sense that a lot of it was, and that has never been the story behind the scenes anyway. I'm sure some of it was, but uh, but it doesn't really feel that way. Like it wasn't like fuck every other word. You know what I mean? So no, precisely. So usually, when you get an improvised film and somebody says, "Hey, the gates are open. Say whatever you want to say," you get fuck every other word or shit every other word. Oh. Somebody just wants to cuss all the time. I'm trying to fill space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 make themselves comfortable too, because fuck is a very aggressive word, and it mm-hmm. makes you kind of you know it's almost like a dick swinging word. You know, it's kind of like you know I'm gonna make sure I'm a little uncomfortable in front of the camera. I'm gonna say fuck a lot, and that'll make me more comfortable because people will be intimidated by my use of the word fuck. Yeah, Lee Van Cleef didn't need a fuck. He just needed a hairpiece and a fucking gun, bitch. That's right. <laughs> he showed kitten who's boss. <laughs> hey, kitten. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I'm going to give it to her. My score for the film is a 9 out of 10. I think this film is wonderful. I'm glad uh, we decided to do it. And uh, it was a great revisit. Uh, like I said, it's been 20 years for me. Uh, I'm actually thinking about picking up the Blu-ray because it's only like 7 bucks. Does it have much on it? Uh, it's got, uh, well, the Hanson brothers evidently do a commentary, but I've, I've read that that's not very good because they don't really know what they're talking about. They're not film guys. <laughs> They've only been in a few films. Unfortunately, they were in Slapshot 2 and Slapshot 3, which I'm almost curious uh, to watch because yeah. they're Stephen in it. Baldwin is in two. <laughs> I know, but because they're in those two, I'd almost be interested to see, you know, what they do in those, but uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to go that far. Maybe I want to keep the glory of the original film. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's one of those things that is tempting. If it ever comes across my way, like by accident, then I'll make I may check it out. But I'm not gonna. Maybe I can just YouTube their scenes from uh, those two films. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Oh, All right. So that's our thoughts on Slapshot. We're gonna take a short break and come about a talk about a film that's completely similar in tone to Slapshot, uh, City of Pirates. So <laughs> we'll be back, right? <laughs> We'll be back right after this. Hi, Billy Mays here for the Macho Bullshit Movie Cast. It slices, it dices, it's so good I came back from the Grinches to bring you this deal. The Macho Bullshit Movie is guaranteed to make you 150% more masculine. And for a limited time, comes twice the Macho Bullshit. All you have to do is listen twice. Go to MachoBullshitMovieCast.Libson.com and place your order today. Just a little bit south of Saskatoon Take my guitar for boarding room Met a little girl, her name was June A little bit south of Saskatoon Me and Junie maybe we got on fine Till I had to move on over the line that girl, I'd be back soon. A little bit south of Saskatoon. Went up to Nome to see the sights. Had in to watch the northern lights. South of Saskatoon. So I caught a freight and headed back, traveling down that railroad track. Kept thinking of my honeymoon. All right, everybody, welcome back. I gotta tell you, that 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 song is is so wonderful. But every time I hear it, it, it sounds like something Zom would sing. Yeah, it absolutely does. I can hear him singing it. It's like in his. It's like in his key too. Like he could do it great. He totally could. I just love that little bit south of Saskatoon. I wonder if that's uh, Christian in our group. Christian Bates Hardy. He's uh, oh, he's, he's a Saskatoon boy. Oh, is he a Sask- What do they call those Saskatoonies? Saskatooners? That's a, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Saskatoonays? I don't know. Actually, I think he's in. I think he's either. Is he in Regina? No, I've been in a few Reginas in my day. Oh, wait, wait. Are <laughs> we still talking about Slapshot? There we are. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into this. 1983, City of Pirates, Les Vies des Pirates. 
<laughs> Pirates. Ooh, sucker blue. Um, yes. Uh, okay, so this film, uh, Will picked it. It's a blind pick. We want to get that out there right away. Uh, neither one of us have ever seen any films from Raul Ruiz. Uh, Ruiz? Ruiz? I'm going to have a hard time oh, saying that. Ruiz. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It's such an easy one to say, but I just feel like every time I say it, I'm saying it wrong. The letters are close together, man. It's like it's jamming you up in the line of scrimmage there, by <laughs> That UI, man. That, that's that's yeah. too many vowels there, bro. Tricky dick. <laughs> uh, man, somebody could make this like so many audio clips of me and you that are so <laughs> inappropriate and silly. Ooh. Uh, that reminds me, we got to record something when we're done here. I got to type that down. Hang on. Just a little drop we got to do. Sure. Oh, yes, yes. I know what it is. Um, okay, uh, so this, let me uh, synopsize this, a surreal odyssey in which a melancholic maidservant crosses paths with a homicidal little boy, travels to a tiny island of pirates, and encounters a man with multiple personalities. So that sounds amazing, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, plot-wise. One of my first notes on when I, when I started watching this film was, how did Will come across this one, and had he seen it before? Because I knew... It was going to be one of those moments where if he had seen it before and he absolutely loved it, it was going to be one of those moments where I was going to be a little uncomfortable talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (laughs) thankfully, he had not seen it before either. So Yeah, well, it was one of those things. I knew where it was going to go because... We were, you know, we text message and stuff, and you sent me a message. Have you seen City of Pirates yet? I'm like, I knew. Right? I'm like, nope. And then a few days later, I just sent you a simple text. I just put, yeah, City of Pirates. <laughs> yeah, I think I replied back, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I had never seen this film. I, I feel like, um, as from watching film independently and and also on the show. We get into comfort food, right? Like Euro crime and action and, you know, it, I wanted to really do something different. I wanted to kind of step outside that and just just right. do something different. And Raul Ruiz was a filmmaker I'd read a little bit about, you know, seems to. We lived in France. I mean, a lot of accolades, a lot of uh, esteemed scholarly types, really. Very prolific. Uh, prolific. And, you know, he got out of Chile when the Allende um regime took over and um you know it just highly regarded and then with what you just said surreal odyssey blah 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 uh had melville popo who is a french actor i quite like who was in one of my top three or four films from last year lawrence anyways for canadian director xavier dolan Mm -hmm. uh, plays the young boy in this mallow and i thought let's just go outside of it you know i i will concede that I have a much higher threshold for quote unquote um, pretentious surreal visual films, surreal visual artsy fartsy stuff than you do. Not to say you don't have a capacity for it, you certainly do. Mm-hmm. But uh, I feel like I, I I'm a little more f- inclined to seek it out or want it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you lead on this one okay. because I had said to you off the air, I have less notes on this film than any film we've ever covered on the show. Yeah. Okay. So this one, uh, this one is interesting. Uh, I started doing research into the director. Saw he made uh, quite a few films. I think he has 118 credits. There are some short films in there, some television programs and things, but there are also a lot of full length feature films. I mean, he'd make sometimes as much as six or seven films a year. 
so he was a very hardworking filmmaker. I mean, that was that was that was. So I thought, you know, I've never seen anything by this guy. Uh, toward the end of his career, he worked with uh, you know uh, some acting heavyweights. I think he worked with Malkovich and and a few others. He got some American actors into his films. Uh, I know he worked with Mastriani in a film called Three Lives and Only One Death. Marcello or, or Chiara? Yeah, Marcello. Okay, so he's that's the thing. There was some pedigree. Well, that's that's the thing. Even though I'm going to be forthright and say I did not really enjoy this film, mm-hmm. I am glad I saw it because I really do want to see some other things by this director. Uh, because I mean, I'm looking through his filmography and then the, and I've read some of the the other synopses synopses, <laughs> and uh, there's some interesting stuff. So I feel like he's the kind of filmmaker who would make six films in a year, but maybe only one would hit. Yeah. So I think that's a fair uh, assessment. And I had said to you, full disclosure, I may have said this off the air. I had watched this film after being at work for 12 or 13 hours. So it probably wasn't optimal. Such a bad idea. Yeah. If if I'm not going to recommend it to people, I would definitely not recommend they watch it after a really long day. Let's put it that way. And if you, I would say this would probably be Bad James's favorite film of all time. Oh no 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 no! <laughs> I mean, but when you say that, yes, of course, in a sarcastic way, you are correct. Yes, this. Oh, so I was being facetious. I did want to say one more thing that's too good to not mention. Apparently, Al Pacino was up for the Reg Dunlop role in Slapshot. Oh, really? And and George Roy Hill asked him if he could skate, and Pacino got so infuriated that at such and this is Pacino's words that Hill had the gall to ask him such a quote-unquote facetious question. Can you imagine Pacino in that role? It would have been ridiculous. You know, I read, yeah, I read the freaking memoir uh, uh, about two months ago, and mm-hmm. I meant to tell you, some of the stuff that the way Pacino acted on the set, mm-hmm. insane. That guy oh, uh, was the Nicholas, he was the Nicholas Cage of his time. Insane. Wow. He never even read the script. Like he, all of his lines of dialogue, he would get them. Somebody would say them off camera because he was like, "Fuck it, I don't need to read it. I'm Al Pacino." Oh my goodness! He was so full of himself by that point. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but he was box office, so freaking yeah. had to use him. So he was Michael Corleone, man. Yeah, I know. So. Serpico. But evidently, it was a really, really bad relationship. <laughs> really, really bad. I mean, oh, one of those actor director relationships that you hear about. You know, it's a miracle freaking and him made it through it alive. Let's put it that. He way. well, it wasn't a filmmaker as strong as Friedkin. He might not have. And man, it, he would have looked so fucking ridiculous on skates with his hair blowing in the wind. He's about yeah. five seven. Five seven. Five pounds. Are you sure? I think he's like five four. Man, he's he is itty bitty. <laughs> He's a sprightly man. Oh man, he is itty bitty. I'm I'm not sure. He might say five seven. They might be his uh, quote unquote, you know, his stats. But I, I I've seen him walking next to Beverly D'Angelo, and he's like a full foot shorter than her. Man, that, I he's swear. Like a gar- he's like a garden gnome in an Armani suit. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. <laughs> he got a great ass. Yeah. Well, he would be in the line of vision for it. So. I mean, he would have been fine with the dialogue in Slapshot, but I would have never bought him as a hockey player. But from right. what I understand from reading that freaking uh, documentary, he can uh, he can do anything. That was his. Uh, that was basically what he said. He really drank. He really drank his own Kool Aid in the seventies. Let's put it that way. Oh, no doubt. Which I guess by the time you get past Scarface, you really start to see that he thought he could do anything. So anyway, that's for another show, another time. Um, but yeah, that would, that would have been interesting. Al Pacino and Slapshot. I never thought of it. Anyway, let's get back to this. So, like I said, he made a lot of films and I'm sure there might be some hits in there. Maybe if somebody's more familiar with this director outside of us, 
they can maybe recommend some stuff to us. A lot of his stuff is on YouTube. Uh, we should say that. So if you are interested in doing a little bit of uh, film scholarly work on your own into the Raul Ruiz, uh, Ruiz <laughs> fuck it, into Raul's work, uh, then uh, yeah, because I, I noticed on the side, because uh, I watch this on YouTube, a lot, there's a lot of his films over there. So, you know, have at it. But uh, let me know first which ones I need to check out. Yeah, please separate the killer from the filler. Yeah, he. I, I get a very strong Godard vibe from this guy a little bit. Well, he's compared to Godard sometimes, which because of some of the way they deconstructed cinema and a willingness to challenge cinematic language. Um, so that's probably where that comes from. They kind of ran parallel to each other in terms of... Um, yeah. And they were making films as well, right? I mean, Ruiz were, and, and again, Ruiz worked in France, right? So, yeah, it's. I would also like to someone who maybe who is more familiar with his work. I heard Three Side Tigers, which he made in Chile, is pretty good. Uh, there was another one he made in Chile that was supposed to be pretty good. White something or other. I don't know, but he and he was a guy that worked. He wasn't afraid to work in different. Um, mediums like he did tv he did film yeah you know, he was just always trying to stay working and, and to stretch his legs and push the boundaries of of the umbrella of uh media as a medium yeah and he's worked with a lot of act like i said we, we work with malkovich he's worked with mastriani he's worked with a lot of people john hurt i know david warner i mean this is a guy who was respected so it is with a little bit of pain, you know, but not not pain as in, you know, so sad, but pain as in I I was kind of let down by this because by doing all this research is what I'm getting at. This film really let me down in so many ways. Um, it's way too surreal for me uh, to the point to where it's almost ludicrous, even comedic at times. I don't think it intends to be. And just ultimately the worst word, which is boring. I I couldn't agree more, and it's it's really unfortunate because the film opens, and within five minutes, I'm starting to tune out, which is really really. People who listen to the show long enough know that between the two of us, we're pretty patient, pretty forgiving, and we're looking for the positives in a film. But it's so willfully esoteric, and the dialogue is so willfully impenetrable in poetic and how poetic it is mm -hmm. like it, it just it really becomes someone who is going to indulge in a very selfish way in what they're doing and some maybe would disagree with us strongly and i would respect their opinions you know but it becomes for lack of a better description sort of a an into a sort of a, a pseudo intellectual philosophical wank fest yeah yeah it feels pretentious but at the same time it's hard for me to say that completely because i have never seen any other film by this director so maybe most of his films are like this so and, I think, I, and again i think both of us are are uh, hesitant to use that word because it becomes a, a catch-all it is a catch-all for a lot of people and i don't like to use the word because i feel like it is a catch-all yeah. and and i don't want to say it completely easy catch -all. yeah i don't want to say it completely because like I say, most of his films could be like this. So if, if if that is the case, if most of the 118 credits that we're talking about here have this kind of vibe to him, then obviously he's going for something. And that's not pretentious at that point. This is this is who he is. 
So I'd be mm-hmm. curious to see if there's other films that are different. Now, this when we say this is surreal, I mean, this film is very, very surreal. It opens. Um, we get a character spouting poetry. Uh, we get a ball that bounces on its own. Um, we get uh, the characters looking out windows a lot at the water. Uh, <laughs> there's a scene where a character gets hypnotized and walks in uh, and is not, walks it literally walks like Boris Karloff's Frankenstein monster. Yeah, to the ocean. And when she gets to the ocean, a man in a speedo comes up, and they say she chooses love. And then she walks back out of the ocean and lays down some rocks. I don't know what the fuck is going on. The lot, a lot of the film is vague and is open to interpretation, and that can be fine. I like vague and open to interpretation because I think that's when film can be really. That's when I think the medium is at its most personal. Yeah, is when things are open to interpretation because that's when you begin to analyze yourself analyzing the film. Yeah. Yeah. I like doing that. That's why a lot of people had a lot of problems with Carlos Regatas' film from last year, um, uh, Lux. Uh, Tenebra, uh, was it? Tenebra, Tenebra, Post Tenebra's Lux, which Post I Tenebra. adored. Yeah, which I, I haven't seen a, yet. Which some Todd, who's a pretty forgiving uh, uh, cinephile, me, him and I had a pretty fascinating talk about the film. He didn't care for it the same way I did. Um, so there's times I feel like through a, a director can be myopic and can be introspective um, on a very personal level, but that can force introspection within me, which I like. But this just completely lost me within about fifteen minutes because it becomes a lot of psycho babble. Yeah, I, I think that might be the bigger problem. There's there is actually a lot of dialogue in this film, and it's a lot of. As you said, psychobabble, there's a lot of that, but there's also a lot of characters just spouting poetry, and <laughs> it, it doesn't come off as poetic. It comes off as stuff that's read, uh, you know, off of the page. It doesn't feel natural at all. Not in the slightest. Now, I don't know if he was going for some meta sort of uh, pseudo-intellectual or faux-intellectuals or the bourgeoisie or mm-hmm. something spouting poetry if that was some sort of meta grand statement yeah yeah but it is dreadful yeah now there, there is we can't say a few positives and i think you'll agree there are some striking visuals in here oh yes uh i do think there are moments that um you know for screen captures and whatnot uh there are some really nice moments and it looks nice now that's not enough to recommend this film but if you are a fan of stuff you may have never seen before i think there's some things in here that you might find interesting uh, some really nice imagery. I really thought that this was going to be uh, this kind of killer kid ghost story type thing. Uh, there's some really nice visuals there with the the older character and a knife and some uh, blood on the camera. That's some nice stuff there. Some very Italian cinema type stuff. Some giallo type moments. Uh, mm-hmm. The little kid's legs behind the curtain while she's talking. I, I found that I. I one probably my favorite scene in the film, even though I can't give it a make or break because there's more breaks than makes in this. But when they're reading that paper about the family and stuff, and the kids' legs are in the background, I found that stuff fascinating. I don't know if if you yeah. were tuned away at that time or not, but well, the mise en scene in the film is really exceptional. There mm-hmm. are a lot of beautiful things to, to do, but because there's so much impenetrable psycho babble yeah. being spouted by characters that it you don't believe there's any conviction behind them. They're parroting 
what they've been told to say, but there's no conviction to what they're saying. Yeah, because so, it's, it's really odd because, I mean, you got this killer kid. And it's non sequitur, too. Like yeah. it's You got this kind of killer kid thing and, and violence and this stuff, and then you got all this poetry, and is she choosing love? And I'm like, you know, I, I, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty bright guy, but I don't know what the fuck is going on, and it becomes... Not just tedious, but it becomes frustrating too, and it's, it's, it starts to get to a point where you're just like, you know what, you you get you become that cinema fan who says fuck this movie, and you become yeah. that way, and you don't want to be that way because I think you should be open to every type of genre of film and and things. But this film is completely and utterly frustrating because I don't think it really, from what I understand, what I read, a lot of this film was made up as they went, and pages were kind of written as they went. And that's what it really feels like, too. I mean, it really feels like that. It feels like, hey, today I read this great poem by so-and-so. I want you to spout this dialogue, and I'm going to shoot out this window, and I'm going to have the boy stand over here, and I'm going to have this guy stand over here, and today I'm going to have somebody break eggs and throw hair in it and drink it, which is one of the most, <laughs> disgust- one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen on oh, camera, yeah. ever. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it made me want to barf. I, just, I mean, I just, ugh. Can you imagine? Ugh. Uh, that's dreadful. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> Even Rocky would have been like, yo! <laughs> you know, fucking upset. Ugh. Yeah. I, I mean, I, not seeing other work from this guy really kind of pigeonholes it into a, a bad spot. Uh, I'm adventurous enough that I will look into other stuff by him, but sure. as I get older, I'm 41 now, and uh, I don't have as much time to watch films as I used to, and, and I actually feel that now. Like, you know, I don't want to spend all day, every day, watching eight movies a day i mean that would that would be great when i was 20 that was that was the life yeah but at 41 you know if i get you know four in a week i'm really happy you know that's eight hours of my week i got a lot of other stuff to do and i still love cinema i love reading i love all these things that that make me me but this hour and 40 minutes was some of the roughest hour and 40 minutes i've done in the history of the show and uh, definitely for the reviews of the show, but even outside of films I've watched that we've talked about on the show, this is one of the roughest ones I've ever watched. I mean, it was this was this was brutal in a lot of ways, and it might be my lowest score since <laughs> uh, uh, Turkish Star Wars in some ways. Oh, Although, wow. I mean, I think it's better than <laughs> obviously it's better than that. But yeah. I got to be honest with you. And I got to ask this question. Would you watch Turkish Star Wars again or would you watch this? Turkish Star Wars. We'll see. That, that, that right there tells me everything. I mean, Turkish Star Wars obviously is incompetent, but it's trying to do something and there's an energy and, and an earnestness. And in this, the earnestness, I think, is lost by somebody's just convoluted way of thinking. And God bless him, Raul, but, uh, you know, buddy, I, I'm just not, I'm not catching his jib, you know. I'm not, I'm not getting it. Oh. So. We're not picking up what he's putting down. Yeah, it's yeah. – um, yeah, I mean, early on before I kind of became bitter and cynical about the <laughs> film, there was some stuff that I thought was really strong, like the contrast between the film looking very sunny, yet there seemed to be this palpable dread or darkness, mm-hmm. um, this undercurrent that seemed very palpable. Um, and the film did feel very dreamy, and the music really underscored that quite well. Yeah. And, and it is a beautifully shot film. Mm-hmm. Um, should we should say the female lead in this was in the Diving Bell and the Butterfly? Yeah, which yeah, was a stellar cast. And uh, that's Anna Varro, right? Is that yeah, her? and she is the one that I kind of joked with you off the air that, and we kind of joked about it. But she, 
I definitely got a really kind of strong uh, Tim Curry and drag vibe from her. But because of her, she's got these really kind of very Tim Curry-esque eyes. Which, yeah, I'd said the Shelley Duvall and yeah, um, yeah. Isabella Johnny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you take Shelley Duvall, Isabella Johnny, and Tim Curry, you mix it all together, and you get her in get this it. film. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that's what she looks like all the time. She has a wonderfully uh, interesting face. Yes. And, and again, I, I think we have to say that the two, the three people that I found most fascinating in the film, Melville Popo was fascinating as the boy. He acquits himself well with the, in considering the material. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Alvaro, f- interesting to look at, acquits herself well uh, in spite of the material. And then the mustachioed man, yeah, he's interesting. He's very interesting. He looks um he looks a lot like a slim down Tom Hardy and Bronson. Yeah, 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 he does. A fantastic mustache. And he's got a lot he brings a lot of life to the film. His he scenes really kind of really they really kind of pop. They do. Uh, they certainly do. And it's again, I think everyone the talent was there, but the film is dragged down by this I don't know the in, this intent intent to, to I don't know to do <laughs> meld this heavy handed impenetrable philosophy with with deconstructing film language or something. Yeah. But uh, the few moments that were highlights was one dude goes mandem and he just uh, bathes in the cologne when he's got his shirt off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it's impressive. It's the same guy. Um, that, that's the same guy that drank his mustache hair, right? Oh yeah, the mustache, uh, <laughs> mustache hair and the egg, mustache hair and the egg. Um, the film feels like it must be a very personal film, maybe um, to, and this ties in with what I talked about earlier with Regattas. Is I feel like maybe with films like this, they can be very personal, very specific, and a lot of times it can be directors working out snippets of their own life and sort of using film to exercise some things or to have some sort of emotional reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, you know what was a really fast. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, I mean, you kind of brought this up when you talked about the deconstruction of cinema, the thing that Godard does, and that that can be hit or miss for a lot of people. It's and a I, miss for me. Yeah, and I understand that. I understand that. I like some of Godard's stuff, and some of his stuff I don't like. I'm mean, well. Yeah. Let me put this another way. I like some of his stuff. I don't love anything he's ever done. Truffaut over Godard all day, every day. Yeah, I like Truffaut too, but the. The stuff that I don't like by Gard, I really don't like. You know, I yeah, really don't like because he's really, really incredibly frustrating. He is, and he's a very again, he's a very say what you will, whether you love him or not, he's a very self important director. Yeah, he is. Whether you think he's got the chops to back that up or not, he's very self important. The most interesting thing about Godard is is Godard. And he like in interviews, he's completely fascinating. Yeah. But filmmaking wise, he's not that fascinating. He's a little full of himself and, and a little bit a pain, uh, so to speak. He is a what, pain. What I get, what I get from Ruiz is kind of the same thing. Now he's challenging film art, and I respect that. I really do. I mean, we talk about filmmakers like Gaspar Noé, medium. Yeah. yeah, you know, even Reffin in some ways. Absolutely. Uh, even Argento. You can talk about Argento seventy stuff and pushing and the medium, just yeah. trying to change things. You know, even James Cameron does it in a big commercial way, but they're trying to change things. So I respect that, but that doesn't mean I have to like that. So that's, that's the kind right. of the way I feel about Godard. I respect some of the stuff he's done, but it doesn't mean I like the stuff he's done. It just means that there are moments in Godard films where I think, wow, that's genius. 
mm-hmm. there's a lot of moments in Godard and 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 uh, Buñuel and all these kind of directors where I'm like, yeah, this is really fucking boring. Do something, you know, do something with your film. Now, you could make that same argument with people I love, like Gaspar Noé and and these other ones that we mentioned. Mileage varies, I think. Yeah. Well, I think what well, you said, this is a very personal film, but I think this would be the kind of filmmaker that's a very personal filmmaker for somebody. Like a Godard or a, um, I'm trying to think of somebody else, but you know what I mean. Some people just, they champion filmmakers and they, it just speaks to them. And I think there's, there's bound to be somebody that listens to this podcast that's in our group that this film or this filmmaker speaks to. Um, unfortunately, it's just not me and you. Well, yeah. And there's things that can be very personal and work quite well. Do you remember that, um, that, I want to say, was it Serbian? The Serbian war film we did. It was like a fairy tale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why can't I remember the title of it, though? Uh, well, probably because I have no memory. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah, I know. I can't even remember what we've covered. We've done a lot of films on this show, man. But that was a brilliant film. And that indulged in some very personal sentiment, um, but not at the um, expense of the film. Yeah. That's the thing. And yeah, so you know what I think was a really great shot in the film as an aside is, and I've never seen it in a film, and I'm surprised uh, we haven't. It's just like a really great shot where in the extreme foreground uh, is the, the mustachioed dude's feet. And then it's like it's him sitting back in a chair with his, his feet up as he's talking to the woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really good shot. That was. I like that shot. Uh, there's some great shots. The final shot of the film I liked a lot. Mm. It's very Kubrick, very uh, very surreal. I like that shadow image on the uh, water. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what the fuck it's about, but it does look nice. <laughs> well, the film, this is my final note, really, the whole film, ironically, feels like one of those dreams that you keep waking up from, and or not dreams, but late at night you're watching a film and you keep waking up like every it seems like every half an hour and you don't know what's happened you can't make it out that's what this film feels even when you're watching it from minute one yeah it yeah. just you can't make it out yeah i agree i agree it's it does feel like that it feels like some dreams i've had well he's worked with koskinski's son nikolai kinski oh well yeah Half brother of uh, the other Kinskis. Oh, he does look a lot like his dad, and he's got the he's got his dad's eyes. Kind of creepy. Uh, yeah, I was looking into a film called with Malkovich that he did called Klimt. K-L-I. Oh, Gustav. That's based on the one of my favorite painters. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine Gustav Klimt. Yeah, yeah, it's his sexual who, paintings. Yeah, had uh, he's a pretty fascinating, very tactile painter. Who, I'm certainly not an expert, but his paintings uh, I quite admire. I would have thought maybe you know looking at that, I thought man, you know. Malkovich, I like Malkovich. You know, he's playing a painter. This, this could be interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, like I say, if there's somebody out there that can kind of point us in the right direction with this filmmaker's work, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, and I definitely would look into other stuff because there's enough in the imagery here that I know that in his filmography there's got to be something that I would dig. So he's like the more intellectual, philosophical version of like a Roland or Franco then? <laughs> yeah. Who who directed Zoo Zero? Well, I know Zoo Zero is a different type of pretentious, but uh, yeah, I would watch Zoo Zero again before this. They're four years. Oh, apart. I don't know. Maybe you know what? I'm kind of getting softer on this film the more I talk about it, which isn't a good thing because I don't get tricked into watching it again. <laughs> 
Okay, so Zoo Zero was a was a Elaine Elaine Fleischer Fleischer Elaine. Oh, that's what it was, Fleischer. Yeah, Elaine Fleischer. So I don't know a lot about, and it's been a long time since we did that show. Uh, So I don't know enough about his work, but he did do a documentary in 2007, which was Fragments of Conversations with John Luke Godard, and that makes sense, right? So brings it all full circle, doesn't it? Yeah. So I mean, there's a certain level of filmmaker that you know you either get into or you don't, and this is a. and th- this film, in some ways, reminded me of Zoo Zero. Not, it's not the same in any way, shape, or form, but I just kind of got that vibe occasionally where I'd look away and I just was not interested. And I think I ended up giving Zoo Zero like a five and a half or something or a five because I managed to get through it. Now, I managed to get <laughs> through this as well. But I got to say, outside of some imagery... I didn't enjoy this one or Zoo Zero that much. I mean, I, I, I don't no. even know. I mean, it's I, I, I guess by my scoring, I guess I would rather watch Zoo Zero again. But I'll be honest with you, I don't want to watch either one of them ever again. So no. we'll see what we get here. Okay, so my make or break. Uh, I wanted to give it a make because I did like some of the visuals and that would have been the final shot, but I'm not going to because it's a break for me. And it's all these kind of needless, and for me they're needless. I know they might not be for some other people, but for me they're needless. This... This spouting of this this poetry that I don't know where the fuck it's coming from, and I don't know what I mean. Like I said before, I'm not a dumb man. I know that. Uh, maybe I'm full of myself, but I, I don't know what is supposed to be said there. And even though they're clearly saying something, it doesn't mean anything to me. And that's bothersome when the imagery and the and the 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 dialogue. underground. Yeah, Emir Costa Rica underground, 1995. Ah, yeah. oh, okay, okay. Well, that, we didn't do that too long ago, did we? Yeah. Oh, hell of a film, man. Yeah. See, that works. That works. That works totally. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, there. that's fine. At first, I thought she was underground. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Is there something about this filmmaker I need to know? And, and that film, we should say, in to contrast, if we're going to bring it to that, because our point was that that film works in spite of its indulgences, is that film was. Uh, uh, like three hours long. Yeah, almost three hours long. Yeah, and it was Yugoslavian. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Yeah, and that film was difficult. That film was very dense. It was full of a lot of stuff, and we even mentioned a lot of that ideas. Where, yeah, a lot of ideas and a lot of stuff going on. But I was always there. I was always with it. Let's, well, much like Truffaut to Godard. Yeah, Truffaut's work and his the- his theories and techniques, everything always feel more organic to the subject matter. Uh, and also Truffaut's more narrative driven, I think, than Godard. Godard's not really interested in occasionally he's interested in narrative with like Breathless and like a few other things, but even then he's not completely interested. So you know. So, so and Truffaut's at least more interested in narrative. Maybe not all the time, but he's definitely more interested in it. Uh, and this film even this film has narrative. I mean, we do have a, a, a through line with a character here. But I just I didn't care. And that's the problem. Uh, my MVT for the film is the visuals, though. I think there were some things in here I had never seen and I did like. Uh, there were some gorgeous moments. Uh, not enough for me to say this should be remastered and put out on Blu-ray, <laughs> like we like to say, or you know, or in high def. But um, enough for me to say that if you're an adventurous film fan, a totally adventurous film buff, maybe you want to check this out. But I cannot recommend this to anybody else outside of that truly adventurous film nut. I mean, truly adventurous. You got, you really got to have that adventure spirit. You got to be the Columbus of cinema. <laughs> you really okay. got to want to get out there and dig in uh, to kind of see something like this. Okay, so and my score for the film is a four out of ten. 
I just uh, I gave it a higher score than Turkish Star Wars, even though I would watch Turkish Star Wars. What did before. you say? Give it a four out of ten. Yeah, four out of ten. Nice. That's uh, and and that's basically based on the visuals. Yeah, and absolutely. some of the acting because the acting, as much as I did not like this film in a lot of ways, I can't fault any of the actors because they're given their all. Uh, I think every actor in the film is doing exactly what the director wants them to do, and I found the actors interesting. But yeah. I just didn't care. So Yeah, nor did I. I think that's an accurate way to put it. My break is like the first 10 minutes when that bald dude with the beard was rambling on about <laughs> philosophy and psychobabble and nonsense. Um my MVT is also the visuals. I think there's some strong visuals there. And uh, my score for the film is uh, three and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah, so right. Maybe a four. It's just... Same ballpark. I don't think the guy is without talent, but he really needs someone who can be a little more brutal in the editing room to make something more cohesive. But some people aren't interested in cohesive. I mean, that's their end game is not cohesion, and so be it. But... If this is what he is, it, sadly, it won't really work for me beyond thinking he's someone who has some grand uh, ideas, but they're just not for me. Yeah. I got to believe, though, there's something. I just got to believe. When you got 118 films, I got to believe there's something, especially with two films. Especially fans. with the, the accolades he's gotten from yeah. really serious minded film circles. Yeah. And two film fans like me and you, I'm sure there's something in there. Yeah. I'm sure there is. But this, yeah. this, this was just not it. Great title. I couldn't wait to t- watch it because I love the title. When you said City of Pirates, it's like, oh, fuck yeah, here we go. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, the mind conjures up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this city of everybody wearing skull and crossbone hats and having hooks for hands, but, you know, <laughs> that's because up pumping and blowing. <laughs> yeah. They need a kid Anakin on this piece there, boy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to the Genghis Khan film. That's right. All right. So that's our thoughts on uh, City of Pirates. Unfortunately, I don't think, uh, well, no, I think we, well, what did you give Turkish Star Wars? Do you remember? I know I gave it like I, a two. Like I gave it the I Zom. I gave it like a two and a half yeah, or something. Like the dreaded Zom Deuce is what I call that. The Zom Deuce, yeah. That's <laughs> right. I, I've hardly ever gone lower. As a matter of fact, I can't think I've ever went lower than that. That's as low as I ever went. We've combined, we've given this film, what, like a seven and a half? Yeah, so it's it's roughly a three. So, <laughs> so. when we, yeah, when we combine it, it's a good film, not a great film. <laughs> You take away those scores, it's yeah. it's pretty. Anything yeah, like, over a five for me is at least watchable. Uh, just for my personal taste, but it has to really be in the six ballpark for me to even recommend it to anybody. You know, yeah. I mean, it really has to be like a six out of ten at the very least. I mean, like like uh, Jeremy or Jay said one time, Shimpy, he said, uh, you know, if the GGTMC gives it an eight, it's a near masterpiece. So. <laughs> So, you know, to me, that's kind of accurate. You know, once we get into eight and nine territory, that's when films are really, you know, must-sees. But sixes and sevens are, yeah, we can recommend that. And, you know, fours and fives, though. Like I said, anything, and I'm sure you agree, anything under a five is like, you know, enter at your own risk. Agreed. And mileage will vary. Yep. 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 All right, so that's the big show. We got it done. Next week, we are doing the Diabolic DVD episode. We got kind of a special one for you next week. We're actually going to be doing three films because I picked a couple of uh, Blu ray releases. Uh, we're going to be doing Night of the Comet, which uh, I don't think Will's ever seen. Never seen it, and I, I've always, always meant to. And um, that's a little bit. That's a little bit of me putting one of my children out there because I really do love Night of the Comet in some ways. So I'm kind of. 
Ooh, I'm a little nervous. Well, I've always been to, and I've I've owned it on DVD for years, and I kept holding off because it was one that was like another one that was on our like like year one roadmap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on the roadmap from a long time ago. I thought a lot of people had forgotten about it, but it's great that uh, you know Scream Factory or Scout Factory, whatever you want to call them, and they picked it up, and it's great. We got a Blu-ray version of that now, and and a lot of people in our groups have talked about it for a while now and stuff. There's a lot of films that a lot of podcasts are covering that were on our roadmaps a long time ago, so we kind of. We missed those windows, but don't worry about it. We'll get around to those. Um, another one that I think was kind of on the roadmap, too, though, another selection I made was The Town of the Dreaded Sundown. We're going to be doing The Town of the Dreaded Sundown uh, Blu-ray release, which will be interesting as well. We both have seen that, I know. So yeah. uh, that'll be interesting to talk about because that's definitely an interesting film. And But on that disc or on that set, that uh, release, there's actually another film by Charles Pierce, uh, the, the, Evic- Evictors. the Evictors on DVD. So, you know, we got that. We might as well cover it. You know, what the hell? We'll do a kind of a, a trillo GGTMC in a way, but it's just, it's there. I've never seen the Evictors. Have you? I have because I had, well, I've seen half of it because oh, I had okay. it on my PVR from TCM. And, and it's also, for people who want to play along, it's on Netflix instant. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Because I remember the last time I asked Miles to fill in, or one of the times I asked him to fill in, and he couldn't do it, but he was going to pick the Evictors, actually. And I had always meant to go back and finish the Evictors. Oh, nice. And okay. I never did. So this would be a good way to get back and finish it. So, nice. right. And I'm a Vic Morrow fan. I know you are too. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that and talking about some Charles Pierce and then talking about uh, Night of the Comedy. Mike Ensley. Yeah. Every time I think of the town of the dreaded sundown, I think of Mike Ensley. <laughs> so, yeah. I missed that podcast. So, so uh, do I. Good yeah. show. So uh, that is what we're doing next week. Uh, I don't think we have anything. Great else. show. Yeah, yeah, it is. I already know what I'm picking the week after that, so I'm looking forward to that too. I, I'm having to I, since we're doing our own picks again. It's it's really I, I start to sweat, and you know, me and you were and talking about it off the air. I start to sweat what I'm going to pick. I was like, I'm going to do Almodovar's Matador. I'm going to do Mr. Vampire from Hong Kong. Oh, whoa. I'm going <laughs> to. I was like, uh, Straight Time. I was going to pick uh, like just all over the map. Yeah, I was going to do a kung fu film. I was going to do. Um, uh, it was a Shaw Brothers. Prodigal Son I was going to pick. It was a Shaw Brothers film I was going to pick. I was going to do a Shaw Brothers because we hadn't done one in so long. So Yeah, that's why I was trying to get into something from Hong Kong. Because yeah. we haven't done that. When's the last time we did a straight-up Chinese Hong Kong film? <laughs> you know, Kung Fu movie. It's been a while. It's been, yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right. So that is the big show. With that, I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207 And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com 